You're listening to Thunder Quack Podcast Network. There has been an awakening. Have you felt it? You are listening to Star Wars The Saga Continues. Your hosts, Kyle Avery and Tim Jirasi, are scouring the holonet for news and bringing you all of the latest updates on the future of the Star Wars universe. And the future is bright indeed, so we invite you to join us on this exciting journey as the saga continues. Always in motion is the future. This is just the beginning. You'll find out full of surprises. Not over yet. No, there is another. Chewie, we're home. Hey there, Star Wars fans, and welcome to another brand new episode of Star Wars The Saga Continues, your podcast for all the latest news and rumors regarding Star Wars The Last Jedi, Star Wars Battlefront 2, the young Han Solo movie, and all the other new and exciting projects coming up in the Star Wars universe. Um, as always, I'm your host, Kyle, and I've got my co-host, Tim, with me. How's it going, Tim? Hey, what's up, Kyle? Doing good. Man, it's hard to believe August and summer is pretty much over, but you know that's a good thing because we're just going to be moving right along into the fall and blown on last jedi goodness is gonna be coming our way but yeah. august wasn't too bad on new last jedi stuff either so it was a pretty good lead into what's sure to be even more great stuff coming for episode eight yeah definitely i think um you know we kind of hit like that little bit of a lull over the summer where we had uh all the exciting stuff from like e3 with battlefront 2 and then um you know the last jedi stuff from uh Oh, like so, yeah, yeah. I was like, there was celebration, and there wasn't any at Comic Con. No D twenty three, you know, and then not a whole lot of stuff right in the immediate aftermath of that. But it's starting to pick up again now. We got a lot of big stuff to talk about on this episode, and then heading forward. I mean, we're due pretty soon here for another trailer for the Last Jedi. I would think, um, you know, yeah, Star which- Wars. Star Wars Rebels is going to be starting again sometime in the fall. We've got Force Friday right around the corner. So, uh, yeah, this train is about to get moving full steam ahead right into, uh, you know, Last Jedi releasing in August. It's going to be here before we know it. Yeah, we were debating if we would get a trailer for The Last Jedi in August like we did Rogue One, but I'm starting to think that's not the case unless we get a big surprise over the next two weeks, but I'm not too confident right now. So it looks like it's going to be more in the fall and... Maybe just how The Force Awakens was when in October we'll get the next one. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, you never know because I feel like when they do, re- like when they have released new trailers in the past, I mean, obviously there's a lot of speculation around it ahead of time and people trying to predict when it's going to happen and, oh, we're hearing this, that, and the other, you know, rumor or leak or whatever from insiders at the movie theater or the studio or, you know, whatever it might be. But they usually don't officially announce, like, when the trailer is going to drop until, you know, maybe, like, a week ahead of time, you know? And then it's like, oh, tune yeah. in next week on Good Morning America or Monday Night Football or the Olympics or, you know, whatever the 
special occasion is where they're like, oh, hey, look, we got a uh, new Star Wars trailer for you now. So, I mean, for all we know, we still could get one by the end of August. Um, there could be an announcement tomorrow. There could be one next week or something. And then, uh, you know, have a trailer that come out the, the week after that. But um, I don't know. We haven't really heard much about it so far. So, yeah, like you said, it could we could have to wait till September or October, somewhere around there. Um, but it's, uh, yeah, like we said, it, it shouldn't be too much longer, uh, either way. And the movie's going to be here before we know it. Also, what's going to be here before we know it is, uh, Ben, we're closing in on a hundred episodes. Um, crazy. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, I'm not sure exactly what we're going to do for that yet, but we will definitely have to do something big and fun to celebrate, you know, a hundred episodes and, closing in on five years of uh you know just doing our thing on here talking star wars talking rumors and speculation and going on all the wild crazy tangents that we've been on and all that kind of stuff um actually it would be kind of crazy if our 100th episode coincided exactly with our five-year anniversary but i think we're going to hit it a little before then it should be in the ballpark though <laughs> around yeah. that time. yeah i think they? probably you know within a month or so um, so yeah. it can, uh, it, that can just be our, our unofficial five year celebration as well, whenever yeah. we get to it. But again, I mean, it kind of depends on what we've got coming in, you know, in the coming weeks and stuff to talk about. But anyway, enough about future episodes of what we might talk about. Let's get to all the stuff that we are definitely going to be talking about on this episode. Yeah. Um, Gotta listen to Qui-Gon's word, concentrate on the here and now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Focus on the moment. Um, or be mindful of the future, but not at the expense of the moment. And we definitely have a lot to discuss in the moment. Um, and you know what? Obviously, there's there was a ton of Last Jedi images and information and stuff that came out in Entertainment Weekly last week. Um, and that's going to be probably the bulk of what we're talking about on this episode. Uh, you guys know the drill. We're going to just dig into all these articles and all these pictures and leave no stone unturned. And this is probably going to be a fairly lengthy episode by the end of it. But before we dive into that stuff, let's talk about a little something something that was just floating around the internet just today um and when i saw this we were thinking about recording last night um and i had other plans and so i was like i definitely want to get a uh, a new episode done this week so let's just record thursday even though we usually try to post our episodes on thursday um and then this came out and i was like i texted you and was like dude i am so glad we didn't record last night because then we would have missed out on this. Yeah, we um, would have avoided those moments where, which happened to us a lot in the early going, where we record an episode and then boom, some big news and rumors pops up the very next day. So yeah. <laughs> we were fortunate on this one. Yeah, I would have not been happy. And that has definitely happened to us, like you said, several times in the past. But uh, luckily, we were able to catch this one in time. Um, and, you know, take this with a grain of salt because it has not been officially confirmed by Lucasfilm yet. But this is also not just one of those whimsy, you know, rumors floating around that has no basis to it. This is coming from The Hollywood Reporter, which is, you know, tends to be a very reputable source. And they are reporting that an Obi-Wan Kenobi standalone film is in development at Lucasfilm um, with a director in talks uh it's uh steven daldry um who has been nominated for oscars for um movies like billy elliott and the hours and uh, i think also uh the reader 
Um, and then he's also most recently directed episodes of uh, The Crown on Netflix and got an Emmy nomination for that. So I'm not super familiar with his work personally, but I mean, those are some pretty, you know, critically acclaimed projects. And it's always good uh, to know that, you know, these projects are in capable hands. But um, even more so than that, I mean, just, you know, we had talked about this a while ago. Uh, I think they had said that, like, they were going to decide over the summer on what their next standalone mm-hmm. film was going to be. And we were speculating about it. And I mean, all signs were pointing towards pretty much either Obi-Wan or Boba Fett. Um, at least that's what most of the talk is about. And it seems like that's, you know, most fans top two choices for what they'd want to see from a standalone movie. Um, and man, there's just been so much talk about this for, for so long, especially, you know, it seems like every few months somebody asks Ewan McGregor in an interview if he'd want to do it. And he's like, yeah, sure. And then it makes the rounds like it's big news and everybody's like, Hey, Ewan McGregor wants to come back and play Obi-Wan. Let's make it happen. Well, it sounds (laughs) like it's finally happening. Um, And they do say in this article that, you know, they're still in talks with the director and there's no script yet. They haven't hired a writer, you know, none of that kind of stuff. So, of course, they haven't attached any actors yet either. But, like, once they confirm that this is greenlit and that this is happening and they, uh, you know, have a director attached, I would be shocked if the next move they make is not just making a beeline for you and McGregor and getting him signed on to do this. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, it's one of those things where you don't have to worry about doing a long casting search to get it right, like they did had to do with uh, Han Solo for the young Han Solo movie and Alden Ehrenreich. But this one, they know who their guy is. He just, you know, got to work out a deal and get him to come on board, which, you know, he said before, it should be something that he's really eager to do. So I don't think that should be an issue. But, man, regarding the news that came out today, it's one of those things where, like you said, we knew, we've heard rumors about it. We knew it was something that, we as fans have wanted to happen for a long time. And so it doesn't really come as a shock to know that it is finally happening, but man, it doesn't make it any less exciting. I was <laughs> ecstatic to hear this. And yes, it's not officially uh, reported by Lucasfilm or it was posted on starwars.com. But like I said, the Hollywood reporter is very reputable, reputable. And it's pretty much, if it's not coming from starwars.com, this is like the next uh, likely place where you can kind of take it, take it to the bank where it's probably going to happen because they broke stories before, you know, like directors being involved or casting before it is officially announced. So I'm expecting this, you know, to the Obi-Wan movie to officially happen and be announced soon. And, you know, we got to wait and see whether uh, the director, Stephen Daldry is officially signed that, you know, deals like that can fall apart. But I think it's definitely safe to say that the Obi-Wan movie is the next one on their list after episode nine. And you were talking about that meeting they were going to have in June to figure out what their next move is. I think, it's decided and it's the Obi-Wan movie. So yeah, we talked about it before we were expecting to hopefully one day get it. And now it's looks like it's happening. And man, it just, it made my day when I read that. It was like, yes, like, like you said, we speculated about on many episodes and the possibility of what an Obi-Wan movie can be and how cool, you know, sitting in the theater and seeing Ewan McGregor back as Obi-Wan will be for star Wars fans. And, you know, we're just one step closer to that reality. And, you know, the first steps have, been taking place for this movie to get off the ground and i couldn't be more excited knowing that after episode nine this is the next movie to look forward to and i just you know couldn't be happier that it's obi-wan so yeah not a huge like surprise that it's some out of the blue like oh man they're going to do an obi-wan movie but it's just so awesome to finally hear it you know like you know not 
officially officially confirmed but as confirmed you're going to get it till you hear it from on starwars.com or something so i just think it's a matter of time before we get that confirmation and it's i think that's going to be just as exciting too knowing that we don't have to worry about oh it's a rumor or you know still don't take it as official confirmation so we got the news that today that you know it's coming or being in development but even when we get the official confirmation that's just going to be a great day too so more obi-wan goodness is going to be on the way <laughs> and that's a big obi-wan fan i couldn't be happier yeah definitely and i mean like you said it's definitely not like a big surprise but also you know it's not the kind of thing that you're expecting to see, you know, pop up on your news feed just like randomly in the middle of the day. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of those things that, you know, when you're looking forward to for so long, like when you do finally get confirmation or even, you know, close to confirmation um, in this case, you know, again, I'm not really like holding my breath to see like, oh, well, is this legit? Is this actually real? Because, you know, this doesn't seem like that far out there. Um you know, again, it's something that's been talked about for a long time. It seems like it would make sense for them to do this. They, you know, we know they have the audience. We know there's a lot of people that want to see this. And heck, you've still got the guy around who played Obi-Wan the last time he was on screen. So, um, you know, it, it just makes perfect sense for them to do this. So, you know, again, yeah, it makes total sense. It's not a big surprise, um, but it's still just really cool. And, uh, you know, just crossing that line from something that's just being on your wish list to something being on your radar yeah. is like, okay, now it's not just like, I know it would make sense for them to do this, but knowing that they probably actually are doing this, you know, just gets you even more excited for it. So um, definitely looking forward to that. Uh, obviously, we'll talk about that more as the story develops. Um, you know, it was funny because when we started hearing about this, just, you know, in the I think this was like late morning, early afternoon, something when I first read it. Um, and I was wondering like, oh, I wonder now that it's kind of out there and making the rounds, if we'll like get an official statement by Lucasfilm, like by the end of the day um, and be able to talk about that on the podcast. But, I mean, from what it sounds like, you know, because they say they're still in early talks with the director, and, I mean, for all we know, the, that could still fall through. Um, but, you know, even if he does end up signing on to uh, to be a part of the movie, I would assume we probably won't get um, an official announcement from Lucasfilm until they at least have somebody attached. And I feel like that's yeah. kind of been the case with the you know, the, the past movies that they've done so far. Well, I guess with, you know, with the force awakens, they announced that they were doing that right off the bat and they didn't have a, uh, they definitely didn't have a director yet. And I don't think they even had, you know, Michael Arndt on as the writer. Yet. No. Um, you know, they just announced the sale of Lucasfilm to Disney. And the reason we're buying it is so we can make more star Wars movies. Yeah. Um, totally different scenario back then. In 2012 yeah, the exactly. I mean, that was the whole big overhaul and everything going on, but then, even like, uh, I mean, they announced the directors for the standalone movies, you know, Gareth Edwards and Josh Trank before the actual movies themselves were even revealed. Um, we knew that Gareth Edwards was working on a movie before we knew anything about Rogue One. So um, I think they're probably going to wait to just, you know, make official confirmation on this until they have at least one name attached that they can say like, hey, this isn't just an idea that we want to do like this is happening, it's in production, we've got so-and-so attached to write or direct or whatever, and hopefully have Ewan McGregor attached to star in it. Yeah, um, that's the big thing, I would think. 
or at least for me, I would want them to wait for making an official announcement. Just, you know, announce the director and that Ewan McGregor is officially back as Obi-Wan because, you know, whatever they make the official announcement and it's not revealed that Ewan McGregor has signed on yet, that's going to be the question everyone's going to be asking whenever, you know, Kathleen Kennedy's doing interviews or Ewan McGregor's out promoting another film. The Obi-Wan movie's been announced, but are you in it? You would think they want to, you know, get that stuff all taken care of and out of the way before they make the big announcement because that's Mm -hmm. the big thing. Even more... Uh, so then what director is involved everyone's just wanting to know if Ewan McGregor is going to be back because I've been seeing tweets from a lot of fans out there saying you know it's it's Ewan or nothing like don't even bother making the movie if Ewan McGregor is not back as Obi-Wan he's that vital and important to the oh role. yeah so I would think they want to get him you know signed on and have it be a done deal before they make the official announcements which I'd be willing to wait <laughs> for the official announcement but for that deal to get done with you and before they say anything, yeah. it'll be worth it. Well, and I think the only thing that might be a hang up there, um, and they even mention in this article on the Hollywood reporter, um, they say that I'm hang on, I'm scrolling through this, trying to find the specific part. Um, uh, where was this? I mean, but basically the gist of it is like, because they're still, you know, trying to sign the director, obviously nobody's been hired on to write it and the project has no script. Um, and so they haven't cast anybody yet. Um, oh yeah, here it is. It says, uh, you know, there's a paragraph towards the bottom here. It says the character played a central role in the George Lucas directed prequels, which recount the origin of Vader and his betrayal of Kenobi and the Jedi. Ewan McGregor, who played the younger Kenobi in the prequels, has said he would be open to playing the character again. Sources stress, however, that since there is no script, no actor is attached. Um, now, you don't necessarily always have to wait until the script is done to attach an actor, because again, like, if you know that the movie is going to be about Obi-Wan, and you know, like, what age you want him to be, and, you know, who, you know, you have a good idea of who could play him, um... You could just go ahead and get him attached anyways, but this could be maybe something on you and McGregor's part. You know, he might want to see a script before he signs onto the project just so he knows what he's getting into, because I could easily see, you know, a situation for him where he's like, well, yeah, I would love to go back and play Obi-Wan again, but like, I'd want to do it right and not just sign on for anything. And if I see a script and feel like they're not doing the character justice or you know, feel like it wouldn't paint me in a good light or, you know, whatever, that he might not want to come back for it. Um, And I don't think that would be the case. I mean, it's not something I think we need to worry about. But that is, you know, there is kind of a question there of um, would they, you know, wait until having the script finished to to sign him on. It would be nice if they could announce that ahead of time, though. Um, Because, yeah, like you said, if if they just made the announcement and said, hey, we're making an Obi-Wan standalone film, this guy's directing it, and yes, Ewan McGregor is coming back to play Obi-Wan, people would just be ecstatic. And if they didn't announce right off the bat that he was coming back to play it, then yeah, like you said, he'd just be like dogged with questions all the time. But it would also just be something that everybody would be assuming, and it would be like one of those worst-kept secret on the internet kind of things. Yeah. (laughs) Where, I mean, just like with... uh, Harrison Ford and Mark Hamill and Carrie Fisher coming back to play Han, Luke, and Leia in The Force Awakens. It took them forever to confirm that, but we all knew it, like, the whole time. Um, And even we found out after the fact that, like, George Lucas had met with them to kind of 
get their agreement to appear in the movies before he even sold it to Disney because he knew how important that would be to the fans. Um, and so clearly they were involved before a script was done or anything like that. So, um, yeah, so I, I don't know. I guess we'll have to see how it plays out. It's funny because the only way that I was thinking like that I would be okay with having an Obi-Wan movie with Ewan McGregor not involved is if they decided to go the route of like maybe doing like a backstory kind of thing, like Obi-Wan as an apprentice with Qui-Gon or something like that, and then yeah. have a, a younger actor to play him, which in all fairness could also be cool. Like I kind of would like to see that story. Definitely. But, yeah. I was thinking um, the exact same thing. Yeah. And you know, I mean, I know you can do a lot with makeup and CGI and stuff, but I don't necessarily know that I'd want to bring back, you know, 40 something year old Ewan McGregor to play like 20 year old Obi-Wan. Um, but I mean, definitely, if the story is set anywhere between Revenge of the Sith and A New Hope, which obviously seems like the time period that most people want to revisit that character in, um, it's like, yeah, you you have to bring him back for that. Even if you're going to have it set closer to A New Hope and you're going to make a movie about, you know, old Ben Kenobi, like, I think it's a lot easier to make an actor look you know, a few years older than like 20 years younger or something. Mm -hmm. Um, you can just give him some gray hair, wrinkle him up a little bit and off you go. Um, so yeah, I, I think regardless of, uh, you know, where they decide to put it at and how old he's going to be. Um, yeah, I would love to see him back in that role. Um, you know, I, I obviously it's, not a unique opinion that I hold um, <laughs> that he is like definitely one of the best parts of the prequels, probably the best part, I would say, um, at least in terms of acting and performances and stuff. I mean, Ian McDermott is also fantastic as Palpatine, but I mean, Obi-Wan and Ewan McGregor's performance like really sells those movies. So um, yeah, bring it on. I, I would love to see that. No, totally agree. Yeah, I was thinking the exact same thing about, you know, the only reason not to get Ewan is if they tell a story where Obi-Wan's way younger as like a young Padawan with Qui-Gon. Like I said, it would be awesome, but I'd be shocked if that's the route they're going. I mean, if, yeah, if you said like anywhere between Revenge of the Sith and To A New Hope is probably what they're going to do, and I agree. But at the same time, that they Ewan could still do like, man, it'd be awesome. I don't think it's going to be what the movies is where, you know, set in the Clone Wars era to do an obi-wan from that time period even mcgregor they could still pull that off oh i would love that so much i mean remember those rumors like there could be an obi-wan trilogy that they were planning yeah <laughs> like a few years ago i mean they could easily do that just what we we're talking about padawan days clone wars days and then him as a hermit on tatooine but i mean as easy as that could or as cool as those would sound on paper for a nice trilogy of Obi-Wan, I think the safe bet is going to be where, you know, it's set between Avengers of the Sith and A New Hope with him on Tatooine, which I think could be made for some great stories too. I mean, they did a little bit of that in the comics, the new Star Wars comics right now, where Luke has this journal of Obi-Wan that recounted some of the adventures that he had on Tatooine, trying to protect Luke and dealing with, you know, different, you know, uh, gangsters or pirates there working for Jabba and all that. So there are potential you know, to have stories in similar vein like that. But come on, I'm hoping for is just more force training with uh, Obi-Wan, learning how to you know, become a force ghost and maybe bring Liam Neeson back just as a voiceover mm. to be communing with Obi-Wan and training him for what we know is going to happen in A New Hope. And, you know, it's all that set up to that. So that, I hope anyway, would be the main focus of the story, you know, throwing some action beats here and another, uh, you know, 
plot line that he has to maybe use the knowledge that he's learning uh, from Qui-Gon in certain situations to protect Luke. So there's tons of stuff they can do with it. But yeah, I mean, right now we just got the announcement that it's in development and I'm at the point where I don't care what they give us. <laughs> I just want to <laughs> see that Obi-Wan, a new movie and story with Obi-Wan, with you and McGregor back in the role. And I will be one happy Star Wars fan. Yeah, me too. Um, and yeah, I, I guess even if they were to go back to his Padawan days and like have a younger actor do it, I'd be like, okay, cool. Love that idea. Go for it. But then at some point also do a movie with Ewan McGregor as Obi-Wan. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause it almost, it's just too perfect. Like the age that he's at right now, just Ewan McGregor as an actor to be playing Obi-Wan now kind of, you know, older than he was in Revenge of the Sith, but not quite as old as Alec Guinness was when he played Obi-Wan in A New Hope. So there's like a perfect middle ground where they could, you know, tell a story between those, that 19 to 20 year gap between Revenge of the Sith and A New Hope. So it just works out perfectly in the time, time frame and age of Ewan McGregor for them to tell a story in that period. Yeah. It's like they have to do it. <laughs> just too perfect. Yeah. And heck, you could even take the opportunity kind of like Rogue One did to fill in a little plot hole with, uh, you know, A New Hope, which is like, you know, how come the movie takes place 19 years after Revenge of the Sith, but Obi-Wan looks like 30 years older um, and just show kind of that toll that like the harsh desert living takes on him. Um, And, you know, just sort of his isolation and, you know, being a hermit out there in the desert. And I mean, as much as I'm sure he's probably going to do a lot of meditation and study on the force and all that kind of stuff, you feel it, you got to realize he's probably also, you know, still under a lot of stress and, uh, you know, just dealing with the fact that he just watched the Jedi Order get wiped out and he's one of the very few survivors and knowing that his student was the one who caused it all to come crashing down. So I'm sure you could deal with a lot of, you know, kind of the psychological side of, you know, getting in his head and seeing how he's dealing with the aftermath of all that as well. Yep. And yeah, this has a potential to be really, really cool and just dig deeper into like the mindset of Obi-Wan and just have some really emotional moments that you can have, like you mentioned, you know, losing his best friend and student to the dark side, wiping out the Jedi and just all the stuff that Obi-Wan's been through that we know of through the Clone Wars and the prequels. This can make for just a really good character arc for him even more so because he already has one when you watch all the movies leading up to A New Hope and Clone Wars. But this can just make it even better, which, you know, so far... The two movies that we've gotten this new era of Star Wars has done just makes what we have already gotten in the past even better when you watch these new movies. So mm-hmm. if it's more like that, I mean, it's going to be a great scenario for everyone and all the fans who are going to go see it. Yeah, definitely. So, um, yeah, can't wait to hear more about this. Um you know, again, like I said, we'll definitely dive into this a lot more once we have, uh, you know, more stuff announced. Um, but this is going to be something way far in the future to be looking forward to, because obviously, um, you know, we got like The Last Jedi this year, Han Solo next year, uh, Episode 9 in 2019. So this movie wouldn't be coming out till like 2020. Yeah, um, the earliest. It might not even make that. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, wow, that's... I mean, I guess it's three years from now, which... It's possible if everything goes good, probably with signing the people involved, they need to make it. They could get production going pretty quick, but you never know when some snags might, you know, happen when they're sending all the stuff, like deals falling through with the director or, you know, stuff like that. That yeah. could cause a delay in, you know, their time frame when they want it to get started. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, and I'm sure, yeah, I mean, three years definitely doesn't seem like a stretch, um, especially if it comes out in, 
December, but we don't know. I mean, obviously there's no release date on this, so we don't know if it would be like December or um, summer of 20 or you know 2020. But um, I mean, they did say that their goal is still to you know be releasing one Star Wars movie a year. So I think it's a pretty safe bet that I mean, even if there are you know issues with the production and whatever, that you know I'm sure Disney's probably going to be pushing them to still meet the, meet that deadline. Um, and hit that goal of just, you know, having a movie every year. I'm surprised that as far as we've heard, the Han Solo movie is still on track for like next summer. Um, yeah, that's, that's a good sign in my opinion where, you know, things are going smoothly with Ron Howard where they, you know, picked up the pace where they wanted to be when, after they let go of Lord and Miller and they didn't have to worry about any delays. So it looks like things are going smoothly on that front. So mm -hmm. I personally think we would have heard something by now if there was going to be a delay. Yeah, like but, well, I mean... Less than a year away. Yeah, but they could wait until they're actually done with production. I mean, we know they're still shooting right now because um, Ron Howard still keeps posting pictures yeah. on Twitter and Instagram <laughs> and stuff from the set, which I love. Um, you know, it, it's really cool because you would think... I mean, they talked about wanting to get kind of some younger, fresh talent kind of guys like, uh, you know, Ryan Johnson and... Gareth Edwards and even J.J. Abrams, who obviously is like very experienced, but he's still, you know, in, in like his 40s or whatever. Guys who are a lot younger than like George Lucas and Steven Spielberg in that generation. Um, and, you know, wanting people like that to come in and direct this new generation of Star Wars movies. And, you know, and obviously Phil uh, or Chris. Which one is Lord and Miller? I can't remember. Uh, Phil Lord and Chris Miller. Yeah, those guys. Uh, they fall under that same umbrella as well. And so then to you know have them leave and bring in a, a seasoned veteran director like Ron Howard, I just kind of assumed he was going to just be like all business and uh, you know just trying to make this movie the way Lucasfilm wanted without any fuss or whatever. And it's really cool to see that he looks like he's just having an absolute blast and really yep. enjoying himself. Um, you know, some of the pictures he's posted, he posted one of himself holding like an action figure of Chewie and it was not even like a three and three quarter inch figure. It was like one of those kitty ones. The, um, I forget what they call them, but yeah, it, I know what you're talking about. Yeah. They kind of got like the bigger proportions and the, uh, you know, cartoony more, you know, kind of style. Um, Big eyes. but <laughs> yeah, yeah. And they're kind of aimed at like younger kids, like three to six or whatever. Um, and, and, but anyway, he's, he posted a picture of himself holding a Chewy figure from, you know, that line and, you know, just saying something about how he was using action figures to block out the action in a scene for the movie. And, uh, he was like, PS, like, yes, this is my day job. Um, and I'm like, man, that's just really cool to see that, you know, he's having so much fun with it. And that obviously is making me hopeful that this is still going to be a good movie. Um, but then it, as far as, you know, a possible delay or whatever, I mean, we'll see when they get to the end of production. Um, and, uh, you know, maybe they'll have to go from there. Cause I mean, that's kind of my biggest concern. I would say, um, like, I'm sure things are going to go fine on set now and, you know, go smoothly now that they've, uh, you know, got the whole director change sorted out. Um, and, you know, I'm, definitely confident that Ron Howard can do a good job directing it and kind of, uh, write the ship here, but then it's like, okay, well, you know, obviously that's chewing up more time than you thought you were going to have. So I just don't want them to like rush through the post-production with, you know, the editing and the effects and all that kind of stuff. Cause obviously, you know, as much as the stories and the characters and the performances and stuff are 
critically important in Star Wars and in any movie. Like it is definitely a lot about you know the the visuals and the um, special effects and the sound and all that kind of stuff is also a huge component of it as well. So like I would almost still feel a little bit better about it if they pushed it back to December because I mean that's what we're we're used to from all these movies recently anyways. Um, and I'm like you know just just don't rush it. Just take your time and make the movie as good as you possibly can. But, you know, if that's what they're going to do, then that's what they're going to do. So we'll see. Yeah. Well, we know one thing they got taken care of for the Han Solo movie already is they have a composer for it. So, <laughs> yes, they do. You rode that segue beautifully. Yeah, all um, part of the plan. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes, it was recently announced um, that John Powell uh, is the composer that uh, they've chosen to score the uh, Han Solo movie. Um, and he's done a lot of other notable films before he did the scores for like the Bourne movies, uh, Shrek, Kung Fu Panda, How to Train Your Dragon. So a lot of those DreamWorks animated movies. Um, and uh, from you know the announcement on StarWars.com, they also said that the young Han Solo film will be scored in the style of the original Star Wars movies, but retain Powell's distinctive voice. Um, which... I mean, I think is the key for anybody that's going to be scoring one of these movies, right? Like, especially with the standalone films. Like, yeah. you want it to definitely sound like Star Wars, but you don't necessarily want to mimic John Williams because, A, nobody can be John Williams except John Williams. Um, and B, you know, like, especially with these standalone films, I think it's a good opportunity for, you know, a little bit of artistic license um you know a little bit more creativity and you know maybe slight deviations from like what we're used to with all the other star wars stuff before but at the same time you still want it to feel like it fits in that universe um i wonder if it's going to be any like more or less different than the rogue one score was Cause... yeah because i felt that one was more leaning towards uh you know having that style of John Williams music for Star Wars movies or not too much of it was it's you know too unique and different it was a great score I thought it fit perfectly for the movie and along with the other soundtracks but there's nothing while listening to it that made you go oh that's really different or Michael Giacchino's like taking it you know a little bit to left field there with the sound mm -hmm. it all felt like Star Wars which in the end was a good thing but I agree where you're going to be having a lot of these standalone movies it might be good to have some of them the soundtracks for them be a little different and just you know make you maybe catch you off guard a little bit. Whoa, that doesn't sound like Star Wars, but yet it works. So <laughs> yeah. if they can have a nice balance, it'll be good. Yeah, well, and also when they say, you know, use his distinctive voice, I mean, a lot of composers, you know, whether it's John Williams or like Hans Zimmer or Howard Shore, you know, if you listen to a lot of their work, you can kind of hear some similarities. And it's not like it all sounds exactly the same, but you can kind of recognize, you know, certain sounds or instruments or whatever that they like to use a lot. Or, um, you know, they just have certain sounds or you know ways that they're scored that kind of sound similar and so um you know with rogue one and again i absolutely love that score um it just feels very star wars and very sort of evocative of john williams stuff but it you know again it doesn't feel like uh michael giacchino was just going for like copying john williams but it also doesn't necessarily feel like oh this is michael giacchino putting his own spin on star wars like it exactly. seems like he just tried to make stuff that like fit really well in the same vein as what's come before, but not just like recycling it. Um, if that makes sense, like he, he didn't just use, you know, the Imperial March and the, you know, the main rebellion theme and whatever, just use those over and over again. Cause they're already there. Like he made new music that, you know, 
but it, it feels like it fits perfectly well with everything else that's come before. Like John Williams could have wrote that. Um, and, you know, again, I, I love that score, but I do wonder if like maybe with some of these ones in the future, if it'll be like, oh, I see, like that sounds like Star Wars, but it also kind of sounds like this guy's kind of signature style there. So, um, but anyway, yeah, that'll be cool to see what he, uh, what he brings to the table. Um, obviously I think I can speak for both of us when we say that, uh, you know, the, having a new Star Wars soundtrack to listen to and, uh, you know, just getting to experience that new music is definitely one of the coolest parts of getting a new Star Wars movie. So definitely. Um, yeah. I just, I just want the soundtrack a few weeks before the movie, but I digress. Yeah, well, <laughs> we'll just, you know, be debating that until the end of time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so we've got a composer for the Han Solo movie, and then they also recently announced that uh, a new writer is taking over for episode nine, um, and that is uh, Jack Thorne, um, who I guess they're saying that, um, I think it was Colin Trevorrow who wrote, yeah, Derek, uh, Colin Trevorrow and his writing partner Derek Connolly had written the most recent draft. Um, and then initially they said that they were working off a, uh, treatment by Ryan Johnson. And then Ryan Johnson posted a correction on Twitter and said, uh, Hey, by the way, guys, actually, I did not write a treatment for episode nine. Um, but yeah, so, so Colin Trevorrow and his writing partner, um, you know, had written a draft of the film and now they're bringing in this guy to, you know, do a rewrite or touch it up or whatever. Um, and of course this guy's, you know, got a lot of, uh, writing credits to his name, like, um, he's done a lot of British TV shows. Um, and let's see. Yeah, these are a lot that I haven't heard of. Um, but shows called uh, The Fades, The Castoffs, The Last Panthers, National Treasure, which I am assuming they're not talking about the Nicolas Cage movie. Um, but maybe they are. I don't know. It looks like that's lumped under British television shows, though. <laughs> but yeah, um, yeah anyway. You know, for this one, when I heard the news, otherwise it's like, I, when we got the announcement that Ryan Johnson was writing episode eight, or not even like the official announcement, but there was always conflicting reports as far as, you know, is he involved with nine? Like, there, he read somewhere that mm -hmm. he wrote, or he is the writer for episode nine, and he's going to write a treatment for it. So it was always up into the up in the air as far as, you know, his role in the movie. So if anything else, I was just glad to finally get confirmation, you know, whether what his involvement was for episode nine and now we know that it's nothing right now anyway for like i said he corrected the initial report saying he didn't write a treatment for it but um as far as uh you know getting a new writer on board to go off against uh colin trevorrow's script i mean this is nothing new now in this uh new era of star wars movies that we're getting it's something that's just par for the course we saw it with the force awakens when jj abrams and lawrence kazan took over from michael arndt and then with Rogue One, when those had uh, new writers get put onto that after Gary Widow wrote the initial first draft for it. So, you know, it looks right now The Last Jedi is the only one where it's just, you know, Ryan Johnson wrote the script and that's it. No rewrites or uh, mm -hmm. other drafts were, you know, by, by another writer were made for that movie. So that's the exception right now. Which and, makes me really excited for it. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, I I won't get too much into this, but, you know, I, as much as I love The Force Awakens, you know, I do kind of wish that J.J. Abrams and Lawrence Kasdan had had more time to write the script for that one. Because, um, you know, like, I mean, it was kind of well documented how, like, they took over kind of at the last minute and were 
writing the script basically right up until the movie started production. And I'm like, well, you know, how much better could it have been if they had actually had time to, uh, you know, spend a few more weeks or months or whatever working on that. Um, and then, of course, you know, with Rogue One, again, love that script as well. Um, but, you know, you always anytime there's like rewrites and, uh, you know, new writers coming on and you always wonder like, oh, well, is there trouble on the production? Like, was there was that first draft not good enough? Like, are there going to be script like lingering script issues because of this that are going to kind of shine through in the final movie? Um, and I mean, it's just again, like not that I'm super worried about these other ones, but the fact that Ryan Johnson wrote the script for episode eight by himself and that the people at Lucasfilm have been confident enough to just let him roll with that. Um, it gives me a lot of confidence for what he's going to be doing with this movie. Like I can't wait to see it for multiple reasons, but I think, you know, at least it's sounding like right now, like the script is going to be pretty dang solid for that one. Yeah, I agree. And I should say too, the Han Solo movie, while I've had uh, director problems, the, we have heard nothing about the script being like having to be rewritten or get other writers on board. It's still Lawrence Kasdan and his son's script. We haven't heard anything as far as changes regarding that. So right now, anyway, those Han Solo movie and The Last Jedi are the two that haven't had any new script writers be brought on board that we know of. But, yeah, that's true. Uh, but again, the the other issues with the last, uh, with the Han Solo movie have been well documented in their yeah. own right. So because we can't say for the Last Jedi is the only one that haven't had major production issues that exactly. we've heard from the other one. So yeah, it definitely has that distinction. Yeah, definitely. Um man, and just can't wait till December. Um it's gonna be here before you know it. Yeah. Well speaking of The Last Jedi, let's just dive right into the meat and potatoes of this episode finally. Oh um, so I'm ready to dig in. <laughs> yeah. Like Man, and, you know, this is one of those cool things that we can kind of look forward to now, like with every Star Wars movie, um, is whether it's Entertainment Weekly or Vanity Fair or, uh, you know, like the Empire magazine in the UK, like, you know, somebody is just going to unload on you with some images and some articles and just, you know, a a whole bunch of new content um, that's going to give you some more insight into the movie and get everybody all hyped up. Um, and this was the case with The Last Jedi. Uh, just this past week, Entertainment Weekly did like a huge info dump um, and posted, I think, let me go through and count here at four, five, six, eight articles, um, along with just, you know, a gallery of new images and stuff. And I mean, there are images in all of these articles too. So we've got tons of info and interviews and, uh, new, you know, pictures and stuff to look at. So, uh, let's dive right into this and, uh, we'll kind of just go through one at a time. I mean, I'm not going to like read all these articles verbatim. Um, I know, you know, a lot of you guys have probably read these already. And if you haven't, I would definitely recommend checking them out. Um, Also, I would say, you know, maybe minor spoiler warning for people that, like, are trying to stay away from having really anything spoiled and, like, don't want to know a lot going into the movie. I mean, there's nothing I would consider, like, real big spoilers in here, but, you know, might want to watch out if you're trying to stay away from, like, really, you know, knowing too much at all. But then again, if that's you, you're probably not listening to this podcast right now. So, um... 
I don't know. Let's just dive into this first one. Um, and this was, you know, the title is The Last Jedi Can Ray Save Luke Skywalker from His Own Inner Darkness. Um, and, you know, jumping right off the bat here, I mean, it's kind of giving us a little more insight into what the relationship between Luke and Ray is going to look like in this movie. And it's interesting because it seems like kind of a like it's almost going to be kind of a theme throughout this movie and we'll talk about this a little bit later too with some of the other articles that it's almost going to have a theme of like not meeting your heroes mm-hmm. um you know you hear that expression a lot like just in real life like never meet your heroes because you know you idolize these people and then you meet them in real life and they turn out to like not be what you're expecting and it sounds like that is definitely going to be the case when ray meets luke and he's living alone on this island and um you know they talked about stuff that we've kind of heard before and maybe speculated about on our own too but you know just kind of teasing like what makes luke go off and and be on his own um you know knowing that you know he he tried to bring back the jedi order and he failed and kylo ren turned against him and all this kind of stuff and like sure he would have felt you know, disappointed and discouraged by that. But at the same time, like, he's got to know that there's still fighting going on and that the people close to him, like, need his help. So, like, you know, there has to be a good reason for him going into isolation like this other than just him being a coward and running away. And so, you know, we're going to be exploring that and trying to find out, you know, more about just, like, what's going on in his head. Um, You know, of course, why he says the line in the trailer, like, that it's time for the Jedi to end. Um, and, uh, you know, they talked a lot about it in this article about just Ray kind of realizing all this stuff as she's meeting Luke for the first time and being like, what the heck? Like, yeah, <laughs> you know, and, and it seems like he's probably, you know, reluctant to train Ray at first too, or like, you know, not even like that happy to see her when she shows up. Um, and Daisy Ridley talked about how that's kind of disappointing for her because it's like in The Force Awakens, she had Han, who she kind of saw as, you know, a father figure. And you have this orphan girl who, like, has had no parents for uh, such a long chunk of time in her life. And then finally she meets this guy who kind of takes her under his wing as a father figure. And then he gets killed by his own son. And then she's like, okay, well, at least I've got this lightsaber and I can, you know, go off and find Luke now. And, you know, even like Maz Kanata has that line to her where she says, you know, the family uh, that you seek is not behind you, you know, it's ahead. And she goes to Luke hoping that like he can fill that void for her now. And he like, you know, acts like he doesn't even want her to be there um, or is like not happy to see her show up. And so, you know, kind of her just dealing with, uh, you know, that reality and trying to figure out what's going on. Um, so yeah, it should definitely be interesting to see, you know, where their dynamic starts off and then how it evolves throughout the movie. Um, but yeah, I don't know. what do you think about this one? Yeah, there's a lot of great stuff in this article about Luke and Ray that, you know, just, you know, at first when I was reading it again and excited and this made me can't wait to see it all unfold on screen, but just going off of what you're, you were saying right now first about, you know, when she meets Luke and kind of comparing him to Han where, you know, he, she just lost someone who was a father figure to her, but and now she meets. Uh, I think the kind of she describes it as she's with some grumpy guy on an island who doesn't want me here, and it kind of makes me think it's almost like Han and Luke are doing a flip flop as far as their personalities. Where you would think that Han wouldn't be, you know, too receptive of Ray and would kind of be the grumpy old man, and while he's a little reluctant at first in the Force Awakens, he takes to her pretty quickly and realizes, you know, that she could be someone he could take under his wing but with luke you would think he'd be the one who would be more receptive right away just going off of what we've seen of him in the original trilogy 
or he'd be more warm and like welcoming to Ray and you know wanting to train her but it's going to be the exact opposite of that as we see in the movie so it kind of confirms one thing you know we've speculated on it before where you know what's going to happen you know it takes place right where the force awakens left off you know what's he going to do with the lightsaber and what's going to be his reaction to ray and does look like it's going to be a very warm and welcoming one i looks like he'll probably you know kind of give back the lightsaber i was going to say he'll like deny accepting it but we did see that one shot in the behind the scenes video where he's actually holding it so maybe he holds it for a while he gives it back to her or maybe she just insists that he takes it and she just like shoves it in his hand but it's going to be something where he's reluctant to do and just even to see her so it's going to be you know it's going to be weird to see luke like that and this got a pretty big reaction i noticed from fans on social media where this isn't you know the luke they're expecting to see but yet still excited to see where it's all going to go because you know i'm not worried about it being anything that's going to betray the character or ruin it ruin him or like ruin what he did before i just think it's uh you know part of his life that's a very dark time right now and he's gonna have to come out of it that's another thing i liked about the article where it looks like both luke and ray are gonna help each other while they're together you know luke trying to help ray discover you know her powers and just where she comes from with her past and how she's gonna move forward and then ray helping luke kind of you know accept what happened in the past to move on from it and to see you know how they're both going to come out of their situations that they're in which haven't been very good to them recently so i just like how it seems like we're going to learn about each character when then when they're together and then they're going to come out of it even stronger together by what they're doing for one another so i think that's going to be really cool and another thing i was really happy to read where you know we we're all wondering why is luke on this island on octo and you know why did he decide to you know shut himself away from the galaxy but i did like what ryan johnson says where we know that he is not a coward he's not just hiding because he's scared i mean so that's very important i didn't mm-hmm. really think that myself but you know we've had nothing to base it off on and i'd be really disappointed if it's, that was the reason you know he's just too scared to face a stronger power and he's hiding out there because of that so i'm glad ryan johnson set the re- record straight in this interview to saying you know that's not the reason but, you know, there has to be a reason why he's not helping his friends who he knows are in danger and the galaxy needs him. And those, those are all questions and concerns. And even before The Force Awakens even came out and there were rumors and reports that, you know, Luke is hiding from the galaxy. that didn't sit right with some fans mm-hmm. uh, that I remember interacting with on social media. So I'm just glad they're, you know, they're aware of that, that it's a big change for the character. But yet they're going to address it and... I'm confident in, you know, Ryan Johnson and, you know, everyone involved with the story that it will be something that's satisfying to hopefully most fans, you know, we're not going to satisfy everyone, but hopefully be something where, you know, this is only going to make Luke a stronger character that he went through this dark period and Ray's going to help him get out of it. So I think that's all sounds really good, but there's one quote from Mark Hamill that really took me by surprise. And I'm curious if it did for you, Kyle, it's when he's talking about Kylo Ren and Mark Hamill says, Luke made a huge mistake in thinking that his nephew was the chosen one. <laughs> I was shocked that he said the word chosen one because as we've been speculating on all these different theories about Ray's her parents and her history and one of the theories that's been gone, going around and one that I even think that could work if they decide to go it where, you know, she's not like Anakin reincarnated or anything, but the Force decided it needed a new chosen one and Ray is that new chosen one. But mm-hmm. at the same time, I would think, you know, I don't know if, Lucasfilm and Kathleen Kennedy and everyone involved 
is going to want to go that route again for this new trilogy. It was done with Anakin in the prequels and might want to do something different and not uh, retread that idea. But the fact that Mark Hamill said that makes me think this whole, the whole Chosen One uh, uh, idea in the Star Wars saga is not done yet, where, you know, just limited to the prequels. We'll see if it ends up applying to anyone, but just the notion that some characters are thinking about the Chosen One I think is really, really cool. I just thought it was great to hear Mark Hamill say that, because if he's saying that, I would think, you know, maybe it is in the script somewhere, or is this, you know, Ryan Johnson gave it to him for some motivation on where his character is at and how he views Kylo Ren. Just that the idea of the Chosen One is still around, you know, just from a creative standpoint with Ryan Johnson and hopefully within the story itself and in the Star Wars saga. So that got me pretty excited that, you know, if anyone is the new Chosen One, we'll have to wait and see. But just the idea that that is still playing or that idea is still around to be used in the galaxy, I think is really, really cool. Yeah, that was definitely cool to read. Um, and yeah, it kind of took me by surprise as well. I mean, there is always the possibility, like, I mean, just the way that he kind of phrased it and just kind of casually threw it out there. I was like, wait, did he actually mean like the chosen one? Or was Mark Hamill just kind of, you know, casually being like, you know, just using that more uh, loosely, just sort of saying that Luke kind of bet it all on Kylo like he wanted to start a new Jedi order and thought that Kylo would be kind of his you know prized pupil if you will or you know would be the one to kind of take up the mantle and lead like when he was gone um but he also very well I mean could be talking about the actual prophecy of the chosen one too um it is you know intriguing to think like well why would Luke think that Kylo Ren was the chosen one. I mean, we don't really know anything about his Jedi training, so you know, I maybe it was maybe he actually was like a really powerful or like promising Jedi student, um, or maybe it was you know maybe it's just Luke knowing kind of his family history and whatnot, and you know just expecting Kylo to be the one to kind of follow in the footsteps of you know the the galactic legends of Luke Skywalker and Anakin Skywalker. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it would be interesting to kind of get more of that backstory between those two during his Jedi training and see, like, did Luke really actually think that, you know, for, or believe for some reason that, like, Anakin wasn't the chosen one, that Luke wasn't the chosen one, that Ben Solo was the one who was going to be the proverbial chosen one. Like, I would want to know what would make him actually think that, um, because it seems you know, a bit odd, but, um, yeah, I don't know. We'll, we'll see. And then as far as just that prophecy itself, like playing a role in the movie, I actually would not be all that surprised. Um, because, and I think, I mean, in one of these articles, it very well could have been in this one. Um, I'm trying to browsing through this real quick, but I know they talk about, um, Oh, yeah. Or maybe it's in this one. Um, but talking about the uh, the Jedi lore and mythology and stuff that's going to be in this movie. And I think Ryan Johnson said, like, yeah, we are going to get some of it. It's not going to be a ton. It's not going to be like a whole Jedi history backstory, you know, just like history lesson. Um, but I think gonna... exact words were not a Jedi Wikipedia. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, but that it'll be, you know, that we will get some and that it'll be, you know, just as much as we need for the story. 
Um, and I think learning more about the prophecy of the Chosen One is something that obviously is very tied into the Jedi mythology in the movies that we've never really seen fully explored and that could tie in very closely with, you know, the story in the movie itself um, with, you know, dealing with Kylo Ren and Rey and all that kind of stuff. So, um, yeah, I definitely think of, you know, all the little tidbits of Jedi wisdom and lore and history and stuff that, you know, could make the cut as far as being important enough to the story for them to delve into, um, that would probably be a good candidate, I would think. Yeah, and regarding the Chosen One, I mean, I, right now, I think, and I think I always will view the Chosen One as Anakin and, you know, his story and what he did both in the prequels and Darth Vader redeeming himself from Return of the Jedi. I think he mm-hmm. does fulfill that prophecy, but there could be characters still that don't think that. I mean, even Yoda says in Revenge of the Sith, a prophecy that misread could have been so yeah and then even uh in the article it says how luke is kind of beginning to doubt his own connection to the force wondering if he has been misreading it uh this whole time so just to me it thinks where there could be characters out there who have different ideas of what the chosen one is even if it does end up being anakin when it's all said and done or it has it where people can take it their own way and who they think the chosen one is so i just think it's right now maybe not set in stone maybe like we once thought but it's going to be interesting to see where they go with it and how much you know will be involved with that as we go forward in this movie so yeah just going back to what made me excited seeing those words the chosen one was just nice to see because you know i i know how there's some people who don't like the idea of the chosen one or it's a trope that's played out in a lot of uh fantasy stories but when it's told as good as it is in Star Wars, I mean, I'm all for it continuing because <laughs> I think it ended up being a great idea as far as Anakin being supposed to be the greatest Jedi ever to bring balance to the Force, and he failed originally, but yet he succeeded in fulfilling that prophecy when it was all said and done. But maybe mm-hmm. there's more to it. So it's just great to know that, you know, it's an idea that's still open and, you know, could still be evolving as we move forward into this trilogy, and I think that's exciting. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And... I mean, I would agree with you. Like, my perception of it has always been that Anakin was the chosen one. Um, And that, you know, once he became Darth Vader and wiped out all the Jedi, but then he redeemed himself and, you know, sacrificed himself and destroyed Palpatine, like, he brought balance to the Force. He balanced out both sides by wiping out both sides, um, but then, you know, allowing the light to continue in the end. So, you know, I I think in, obviously in a roundabout way, that was not what Obi-Wan and Yoda and the rest were expecting from him, but I think he did fulfill that. Um, But then, of course, that was kind of more thinking about it in terms of just episodes one through six and kind of assuming at the time that, okay, now, you know, with, with, Anakin sacrificing himself and, you know, finally destroying Palpatine, you know, destroying the Sith like everybody thought he was supposed to do through the prophecy in the first place, that now we can finally have some peace and prosperity in the galaxy and the prophecy has been fulfilled. Um, And obviously that is now not the case because here we are 30 years later and, you know, Luke tried to bring back the Jedi and they just got wiped out again and you've still got, you know, the light side and the dark side. I mean, who knows? Maybe bringing balance to the Force just means that there's always going to be constant struggle between the dark side and the light, but it's just, you know, preventing it from tipping the balance too far in one direction or the other. Um, 
you know, I don't know. I mean, I will say what you were saying about, you know, some people thinking that, you know, the chosen, the chosen one is kind of a cliche or a, a tired trope or whatever. Um, I guess that's one hesitation I would have about them bringing it back in this movie and, and for this trilogy. Um, and I wouldn't say that like having it in this story is a bad thing necessarily. And especially like you were saying, the, the idea that if Ray isn't directly connected to like the Skywalkers or the solos or anything, that maybe it's just, you know, the force decided it needed a new chosen one. Um, and you know, she's not, uh, <laughs> she's not related to Luke through blood necessarily but she's related in the sense that like the force brought anakin you know into being for a specific purpose and now maybe it's done the same thing with ray um i think that could be a really cool tie into the story but then it's like okay but at what point does it end because i don't want to keep having you know more whether it's a, a just new Star Wars saga episode every two years or whether it's a new trilogy every you know 10 or 15 years or whatever like I hope by the time I'm like 60 or 70 and like watching Star Wars with my grandkids that there's you know if they're still making movies by that point which I would not be surprised you know as long as you know Disney's still around you know barring some catastrophe or something but like um you know, I, I don't think at that point I'd still want them to be debating like, oh, well, maybe this person's the chosen one. Oh, nope, that wasn't it. Okay, how about this person's the chosen one? Like, <laughs> let's just like at some point come to a definitive conclusion on who the chosen one was and what their role in the story is and then move forward from there. Yeah, I can see that. Um, you, you guess you don't want it to become like the Mass Effect series where, you know, the Reapers come and wipe everything out and it all repeats again. <laughs> like, yeah. Like, you chose the one over and over. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, or yeah, like every protagonist of a, of a new Star Wars trilogy, you don't want to be like, oh, well, okay, this person's the chosen one. And, uh, oh, wait, the last chosen one turned to the dark side or they got killed or, you know, there's a new conflict in the galaxy and we need somebody else to come help resolve it. And so now this person's the chosen one. Um, it's like, do we need like continuous chosen one prophecies all the time? I don't think so. Uh, yeah, I would agree with that. There should be some definitive conclusion on that you know, by the time this trilogy is over with, I would mm -hmm. say. And especially because, I mean, that wasn't even really part of the original trilogy. That's something that was kind of built into the backstory with the prequels. And I think it works perfectly um, because I think, you know, and we knew uh, from the original trilogy, like from Obi-Wan talking about Vader, that he had been, you know, a promising pupil and that he had been, you know, a, a great Jedi before he turned to the dark side. But you know, then you bring this whole chosen one prophecy into it and Anakin being conceived by the force and all that kind of stuff. And you realize kind of how huge a deal that it was that not only was it just, you know, a, a really powerful or really skilled Jedi, but it was like the guy who they pinned all their hopes and dreams on thinking that he was going to, you know, lead the Jedi into a new age and, you know, finally wipe out the Sith and the dark side and whatever. And instead he turned and wiped all them out and now is like ruling by the emperor's side. And you realize kind of how imposing and, you know, evil and tragic of a figure Darth Vader is. Um, and so, you know, I think in that case, you know, adding the chosen one mythology to it, you know, helped add even extra layers there but then yeah it's definitely something that i don't think needs to keep continuing now through every generation of star wars stories yeah so yeah we'll have to see how it all plays out in episode eight i just like the idea and even you know hoping to see where just that 
who knows how much more information Luke learned, you know, from the time of Return of the Jedi to when he's trying to start his new Jedi Order with Kylo Ren as his apprentice. He could have learned some new information, maybe, or his view on the Chosen One that made him think that Kylo Ren, you know, is the actual, or Ben Solo, I should say, <laughs> would have been the Chosen One. So just the idea that, you know, like you said, Ryan Johnson hinted we're going to learn more. That kind of adds to the mythology of Star Wars and the Force, and who knows if some of that, what we learn, is what Luke learned during that time. So I just like the whole idea that, you know, there's just more to it that we haven't thought of, and there's just more open spaces to explore when it comes to the Force. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that still is probably one of the biggest things, you know, if not the main thing that I'm looking forward to about this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. is Well, it's this whole Luke and Ray interaction. Um, again, I've said it before, and I'll say it again. Like, the whole two hours of the movie could just be Luke and Ray and Octo, and I would not complain. Um, you know, I want to explore Ray's backstory and find out who her parents are. I want to explore Luke's backstory and find out what happened to him in between Return of the Jedi and now that made him go into exile like this. I want to find out what he's learned about the Force since then. I want to have my mind blown and, you know, see people use new Force powers or, you know, just discover new secrets about the Force that, like, we never even imagined before. Um... And hopefully it's stuff that makes you go, oh, wow, that's really cool. And, you know, that fits. And, like, I never would have imagined that, but I love it now. And not stuff that goes like, oh, I didn't know they could do that with the Force, but uh, it seemed kind of weird. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I, I think I'm sure they'll, you know, go in some smart directions with that. Like, that's not really something I'm worried about. But, um yeah, and then just, you know, seeing Luke train Ray and I, you know, like you were talking about before, I love the sort of dynamic they present here between Luke and Ray where they're both kind of trying to help build each other up and how, um, you know, Ray is trying to bring Luke back out of his shell and, you know, draw out these things like his his inner demons that he has to face that have you know drove him into exile on this island. And then meanwhile, she's got her own stuff to deal with, with, you know, her abandonment issues and like not having a family and then having, you know, still dealing with the death of Han Solo from the last movie and, uh, you know, dealing with trying to figure out what to do with all these new force powers that she's just figured out that she has. Um, and I think there's a quote in there somewhere about, you know, the two of them, both you know dealing with their issues and stuff and like maybe together you know they can finally become whole like through working together or something like that um which i think is really cool and i'm i'm starting to like more and more even this idea of luke being you know a a hermit in an exile and having suffered this massive failure and disappointment and having to you know struggle through that and deal with it because as much as i would love to see him return as just like the triumphant hero and the the grand wise old jedi master and i think that would be really cool to see i think you know mark hamill talked about in this article how like if these stories are going to keep continuing then like you have to have conflict and darkness in order for there to be you know drama to keep the stories interesting like the characters can't just stay the same the whole time and the good guys can't always win like you have to knock them down a few pegs every once in a while so that you know you can add more to their character arc and i think as much as a lot of us would still love to see luke just like at his apex in this movie um you know even like uh kind of how mark hamill joked about like when he read the script for the force awakens and you see the lightsaber rattling in the snow and then it goes flying in the air (laughs) he thought it was going to fly into luke's hand and you know luke would be like the deus ex machina you know of of these (laughs) movies where 
you know, leave it to Ray and Finn to have the struggles and do the growing and stuff. And then like when they get in a tough spot that they can't get out of, just super powerful Jedi Master Luke shows up to bail them out of any situation. And I think as much as, you know, that would be great fan service and we'd love to just see old man Luke kicking butt and taking names. Um, I think at the end of the day, like once we see the movie, I, th- I think it's going to be a lot more satisfying and a lot more enjoyable and feel more, um, I don't know, more relatable, more realistic, more uh, just better storytelling to have him actually have some challenges that he has to go through. Um, You know, and I mean, we saw the same thing with Han and Leia in The Force Awakens with dealing with the fact that, you know, their son is the new bad guy running around out in the galaxy. And now Luke is having to deal with that failure as well. Um, and you know, so for us to, you know, obviously have seen him kind of in his prime, like in return of the Jedi. And then to know that, you know, he probably did that for a few years and was this awesome Jedi guy, but then some rough stuff happened. And now he's kind of back in the place where he's just, you know, he's seen a lot, he's been through a lot and it's, you know, really weighing on him and to have to kind of sort all that out, um, I think it's going to be a really interesting journey. It's going to be, you know, really interesting to like dig into the character that way. And then hopefully when he has his awesome kick butt Jedi Master Luke moment at the end of the movie, you know, in the the final fight scene or whatever. Um, and I'm not even specifically talking about like some of the, the spoilery kind of stuff that we've talked about um, in the past, although, you know, that is out there um, as far as, you know, some possible leech confrontations that we might see Luke in in the movie but just in general from a story standpoint it's like on the one hand yeah you want him to you know maybe put him in a different position than we're expecting you know make him go through some pain or go through go through some growth or whatever but at the same time it's like you can't really completely pass up on that opportunity to give the fans what they want and let Mm -hmm. us see you know Jedi Master Luke again but I think to build him back up to that point and then finally reveal it at the end of the movie is going to be so much more rewarding. Yep. Yeah. It's going to make probably what's already going to be a cool acting sequence even better to, you know, knowing where Luke came from to get to that point again. Yeah. I mean, whether he's just a powerful old wizard, you know, bouncing people off the walls with his force powers, or hopefully when we finally get to see him ignite that green lightsaber again, it is just going to be like, the coolest moment ever (laughs) the stuff dreams are made of (laughs) (sighs) is it december yet (laughs) just what five more months we're almost there (laughs) yeah well not even no you got like four more months oh even better (laughs) in fact yeah it was four months this past tuesday was august 15th so um yeah, it does come out the 15th, right? It comes out on the 15th. Yep. Yeah, I mean, you would think I'd have that date memorized by now. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, man, <laughs> cannot wait for that. Um, yeah, this so, is just the first article, and it's got a <laughs> Right? I was yeah. about to say, like, man, this feels like we're wrapping up a discussion, but we're wrapping up a discussion on the first article. Um then, you know, we get into uh, Finn and Rose, which, you know, we're going completely flip side of the uh, the spectrum here as far as um, characters and what they're going to be doing and where they're going to be at. And, you know, so we got Luke and Ray off doing their Jedi thing and then um, 
we're going to have this whole other side of the movie dealing with Finn and Rose and Poe and, you know, Leia and the Resistance and all these guys. Um, but it definitely, it, it seems like these characters are going to kind of be paired off a lot. Um, cause there's, you know, like Luke and Ray are definitely going to be spending a lot of time together. And then we got Finn and Rose. And then there's another article that talks about, uh, Leia and, uh, Poe, um, and their relationship. And we'll get into that a little bit more. Um, and then of course, also, I'm sure we're going to see some interaction between, uh, Kylo Ren and Snoke. It doesn't seem like Snoke is going to have as big of a role in this movie as you know, most of the other characters that we're talking about, but still, um, just kind of in those you know, mentor student relationships. Um, it's like we got four separate pairs going on. Um, and the Finn and Rose one should be kind of unique. And cause this one also kind of plays into, you know, the theme that I was talking about with Luke of like, don't meet your heroes. Um, yeah. and it's going to be, you know, kind of applied to this situation too. Um, and it's it's interesting to see where they're talking about Finn and where he's going to be at in this movie because it's like obviously he's been injured from the fight with Kylo. You know, it seems like he's still going to be in a coma at the beginning of the movie and he'll, you know, wake up and be out of it probably pretty soon into it. Um, and they talk about how, uh, you know, even though Finn was kind of trying to find his place in the first movie and, you know, ran away from the First Order and then was kind of struggling with whether or not he wanted to join the Resistance. Um but, you know, when he was kind of trying to fake it to people and was like, hey, you know, I'm a big deal in the resistance. Um, and, you know, kind of gets that nickname where Han calls him big deal, like to make fun of him. Well, they say in The Last Jedi, he actually is a big deal now because now everybody in the resistance has heard about this, you know, stormtrooper who turned away from the First Order and joined the resistance and, uh, you know, helped fight Kylo Ren and blow up Starkiller base and everything. And so now everybody looks up to him as this big hero and he's not even sure he wants to be. Because after he, you know, after being you know, hurt really bad by Kylo Ren and everything, it's like he's still kind of dealing with, well, do I now want to stick around and continue this fight or do I just want to like keep running or, you know, leave and just kind of go and do my own thing? Um, and they kind of bring up the fact that um, in The Force Awakens, like when he's at Maz's castle, he was trying to secure passage to the Outer Rim so he could just get away from all this and that now like he still might want to do that. Um, and when he meets Rose, who is kind of the opposite of him, like she's somebody who is very dedicated to the cause of the resistance, but she's just kind of a nobody. She's like a technician or mechanic or whatever, and is not like this big war hero or anything. Um, and when they meet, like she's heard of him and is like, oh my gosh, you're this really cool guy. And then is like, oh, wait, maybe you're not like, what's wrong with you? Come on, like <laughs> be the big deal. We all think you are. Yeah, this is one of the article where when I read it, I was like, oh, I actually didn't think of that as far as, you know, Finn actually being the big deal, like he said, and like uh, he said to Han Solo, and where he is a hero to a lot of the fighters in the Resistance. But it makes perfect sense. Like, of course, he would be him, Ray, and Poe. I mean, the Resistance haven't had a victory like they did in The Force Awakens, where they took out the major, major base for the First Order and dealt them a big blow. So, of course, the key players in that. A decisive battle would be regarded as heroes in the resistance. And I think that's a really cool way to go about it where, you know, Finn has a reputation to live up to now where, you know, at the in the Force Awakens he was just a rogue stormtrooper trying to, you know, get away from the fighting. So it's gonna make for some nice conflict with the character, which, you know, I guess maybe when you think about it, could have been an obvious way to go, but 
Um, I personally didn't, but when I heard it, it seemed like it's going to be a cool way and just a cool new dynamic for Finn and Rose to have as we see them interact together and being regarded as a hero. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's I, I like what they're doing with this movie, at least from what we've heard so far. I mean, obviously, we'll have to see how the finished product actually translates to the screen. But, you know, I remember hearing in early interviews and stuff when they were, you know, in pre-production on it, um, you know, and the actors were just talking about having read the script for it and how uh, I think I remember either John Boyega or Adam Driver specifically talking about how um, – he how ryan johnson was like taking all of these characters um and it's like okay now that we've established them in the force awakens let's put them all in like their most challenging situation and see how they get out of it um or like see what it does to them or see how they grow from it and i mean i really like that It, it sounds like you know maybe ray's journey is like the only one that you could have kind of predicted from the end of the force awakens or like the the one that sounds like it's kind of just what everybody was expecting which is not a bad thing but it's like obviously she's going to be the one to go through the jedi training and obviously we also know she's got her past history to work out with you know her her family issues and all that kind of stuff but as far as uh you know especially stuff with luke and now finn um you know hearing about kind of where these characters are at i'm like huh i wasn't expecting them to go that route or you know wasn't expecting them to be kind of in that situation or that kind of mindset but i like where they're going with this and now you know let's see kind of how that plays out um you know i like the the situations that they're putting these characters in and the um kind of the directions that they're taking them no i totally agree yeah everything's sounding great and logical so far as far as you know the next step that these characters uh, should probably take in the second chapter of this trilogy and um, going off, not from the article, but one of the images that they had of Finn in Entertainment Weekly, it does look like um, he's going to learn how to fly mm-hmm. <laughs> because there's a shot of him in one of the new ships that are going to be in the crate battle that we saw in the first teaser trailer. It looks like he's going to be piloting one of those ships, which is going to be cool. I mean, we don't know exactly when this is going to take place in the film. It could be maybe in the middle or at the end, but it looks like Finn is you know, going to take to heart the role that uh, he has with the resistance or as others view him to be, you know, the hero and fight alongside them. You know, it looks like he's definitely going to live up to that, at least by the time we get to this point in the movie where he's flying one of the ships. But I think that's cool going to the point where when we look back on the force awakens, he rescues Poe because he had no way out of there. He didn't know how to fly, but here we see him, you know, flying a ship and doing it for the resistance. So I think it's just, you know, kind of a nice full circle moment for the character too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I'm guessing just sort of my prediction would be, I think this is actually going to be like towards the end of the movie. Um, the the battle of Crate, you know, maybe be like the big final battle. Um, although, I don't know, there could be more with Ray and Luke after that dealing with, uh, you know, Kylo and, uh, I don't know, either the Knights of Ren or Snoke and his Praetorian guards or whatever. But... Um, at least as far as the resistance goes and, and stuff like that. I mean, just from what we've seen in the trailers and kind of what, from what we know is going on in the movie. And we know there's a space battle at some point. Um, yeah, it could we, be like there's two battles going on on crate at the same time, like one in space and then one down on the actual planet too. Yeah. And, and that's possible. Um, but then there's, so there's that, we know there's going to be their mission to Canto bite to find um the dj 
character or whatever his actual name is. Um, well, I should say too, since you mentioned Canto Bite, we now know that that's actually not the name of the planet; it's just the name of the casino. The right. planet is actually called Cantonica. Yeah, which is you know a cool reveal to get in this article where we can finally because <laughs> I was always wondering was Canto Bite the actual planet or just the name of the casino? But now we know it's just the name of the casino. Yeah, and I love how Ryan Johnson says the whole city is kind of uh, one sort of luxury resort that's been built on this very otherwise abandoned arid planet. It's like Vegas with aliens, so maybe it is just like Vegas. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so I mean, obviously that's going to factor into it somewhere. Um, and then, of course, you got the scenes in the trailer of like Poe's X-wing and stuff getting blown up. Um, and the, I mean, the way that I'm kind of piecing this together right now, just to guess, and obviously, you know, there's a lot that we don't know about it, and I'm glad because i'm not trying to you know i don't want to know exactly how the movie's going to go right now but i would almost guess that that space battle is what we're going to start out with that that would be kind of like the big action scene like in the beginning of the movie i mean if you think about like empire strikes back how the battle of hoth happens at the beginning and then that's kind of what kicks the characters off on their journey yeah like the rebels kind of get their butts kicked at the battle of hoth but obviously you know the main heroes han and luke and leia and everybody manages to escape and they kind of go off on their way from there and that's kind of what sets them off on their different paths through the movie and i'm thinking i think there's going to be something like that at the beginning of this movie whatever that shot is where uh you know, you see the explosions, uh, it looks like Poe's X-Wing is getting blown up, and, you know, then you see Phasma and all the stormtroopers, like, storming in through the flaming wreckage. I think that's gonna be at the beginning of the movie. Like, maybe it's in that space battle, and maybe that explosion's in a hangar, or maybe there's a battle on, like, the Resistance homeworld, um, and, you know, maybe they just get, you know, kind of kicked off their base, um, but obviously, I think, you know, Leia and Finn and Poe and Rose and all those guys are obviously going to make it out. And then they're like, OK, well, where do we go next? And they make a plan and figure out, OK, well, we need to go to Canto Bight and get this, that or the other thing. And, you know, then kind of maybe mount their, uh, you know, their final push against the First Order on Crate, you know, towards the end of the movie. Um this is just one possibility. But the other thing actually that's making me think it's towards the end of the movie is the fact that we've seen, um, I forget if we saw a picture or if it was like a shot in the behind the scenes video where you see Ray and Finn together on crate. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's in the behind the scenes video. Where yeah. Dancing. And I, I, oh, sorry. What? <laughs> where they're dancing. Right. Right. Um, but then, and oh gosh, I, I mean, I read so much Star Wars stuff in so many places. I wish I could keep it all straight. But I thought I read somewhere else where they made a reference to it. Because I thought that could just be them on set, you know, goofing off. Like, Daisy Ridley could have just been like, hey, let me go see what John Boyega's up to today. That doesn't necessarily mean they're in the same scene. But then I read something somewhere that referenced it as if, like, that was actually the case. Like, we were going to see the two of them reunited at some point. Um, And that was maybe even in this article, too. Like, I kind of think we have to see them reunite, at least at some point in the movie. Yeah. And so if they're, again, I mean, we know that Ray is starting off the movie on um, Octo with Luke and going to be staying there for a while, I would assume. So, um, you know, if she's meeting up with Finn on Crate, I'm guessing that's probably not going to happen until at least somewhere in the second half yeah. of the movie. No, yeah, that all sounds like a logical way for the movie to pan out or play out. 
as uh, we try to piece together the scenes <laughs> from the small amount of footage that we got. Mm-hmm. I'm sure we could do a better job of this when we finally do get that first official full-length trailer. <laughs> oh, yes, please. I'll have the whole movie mapped out by then and then find out where it's totally wrong when we see the <laughs> finished <laughs> yeah. movie in December. Yeah. Um, you know, it was interesting, too, and... I mean, this kind of applies to more later stuff. There's an article, and obviously I'm skipping ahead here, and I'm not going to go into detail on this yet, but one of the last articles they released was talking about Ray and her, you know, finding out the mystery of who her parents are and her whole family history and all that kind of stuff. And there were a lot of people who were kind of upset, you know, on social media and stuff being like, man, this is too much. Like, I didn't want to know all this. Um, and they were, you know, tweeting at Ryan Johnson and saying like, Hey, you know, I, I wish you would save that for the movie. And bef- obviously, I mean, we still got more stuff to talk about before we get to that point. But, um, in that article, like it doesn't really give anything away. It talks about it, but definitely doesn't give any definitive answers and kind of gives some little hints that you can kind of take one way or the other. Like, I think it's pretty subjective. Mm. And some people are taking it as evidence in in one direction or another. But um, Ryan Johnson said, like, yeah, well, you know, it's just kind of the nature of the beast that, like, as we get closer to release, there's going to be more interviews and more information and stuff. But I would suggest, like, that this be the last thing you read if you really want to be surprised. Um, And so I'm like, well... I don't know. I'll have to take that into consideration. Obviously, it's going to be really hard to not, you know read anything between now and then and obviously i'm going to watch trailers like i'm not talking about that specifically but um you know if there's more interviews and articles and stuff like this that comes out in the meantime it's like how much more are they going to reveal before we do get into territory of stuff that is like oh i kind of wish i had just seen that in the movie for the first time yeah i'll just say you know to ryan johnson's tweet duly noted but yeah anything officially coming out i'll be reading and watching like (laughs) i know I mean, it's crazy to think, like we said, we're at the end of August, so there's only four more months to go for December. Because I kind of think this might be, maybe there's one more, like, big, like, magazine cover article coming, maybe in October, November, something like that, that will give us, you know, more pictures, maybe a little more info. But other than that, I think that's going to be it. And then just, you know, the trailer, it'll be an international trailer, like, not too long after we get the next one. So those will probably just be the next, you know, big things that we're going to get that could have, you know, potential i don't want to use spoilers because i usually don't like to call things spoilers when they're officially released but big things shown or revealed that you know are officially done you know through a magazine or trailers whatnot so Mm -hmm. other than that i mean um, i did it with the force wiggins did it with rogue one and i there were still things i was surprised about when i saw the movie so i think you should still be safe if you're just you know looking at things that are officially you know released as far as like the big stuff Mm mm-hmm yeah and obviously like it's it's hard not to especially when you're such a big fan like we are Um, (laughs) and obviously you know doing a podcast we kind of have to keep up keep up with all this stuff too so we have stuff to talk about and know what's going on but you know even as a star wars fan when i see like you know oh new article from entertainment weekly where ryan johnson talks about you know ray's family history i'm not like oh spoilers stay away no i'm like oh gimme 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 let me read this (laughs) yeah At the same time, too, like when it comes to that in particular, you know, they're not going to reveal it in the actual article, like something like that yeah. big that they kept secret for so long. They're not going to make the big reveal in a in a magazine. Yeah, exactly. And of course, you know, like I said, we'll, we'll 
get to more of that later in terms of talking about what they actually did reveal in the article um, or, you know, talk about. But I will say that um, when it when we get closer to the movie actually coming out, like, you know, when it like the week before it releases or whatever, like when reviews start coming out and stuff, I think I am going to try to like avoid reviews for this one altogether. Um I'll probably, you know, still look at like the Rotten Tomato score or something like I want to know like what kind of review, kind of reviews it's getting, but I'm worried about like you know how sometimes like you'll read stuff in reviews and it they'll maybe like spoil something because it's not actually a big deal in the movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know but exactly you, what you like mean. you were kind of hyped up about it going into it and thought it was going to be a big deal. And so then you're kind of let down by the fact that like, oh, I guess that's not as important as I thought it was because they just spoiled it right here in the article. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I get the feeling that might be the case with, you know, Ray's parentage and family and stuff. Um, yeah, but even like on social media too, because... When you know, as you're on Twitter as much as I am, and following a bunch of Star Wars fans, you see, like even like people who are in you know the mainstream media who will see the movie in advance to write a review, you kind of know where they stand on Ray being a Skywalker or Ray being a Rando, and if you see their reaction, we're like, oh, they they did justice to you know Ray's family history, or I couldn't be more happy about that. If you know where they stood before you'll know what it is, even though they're not specifically saying it. So it's like stuff like that you got to watch out for when it's, Mm -hmm. you know, don't want to get spoiled on that. You can read into certain things uh, where it's not actually revealed, but yet you know (laughs) going into what it's going to be depending on what you know about the person and what they say about it. Yeah, and see, I mean, I'm not too concerned about that because I probably don't read stuff on Twitter as often as you do. And so many people have so many different opinions and wild theories and speculations about this. Like, I don't remember who thinks what. <laughs> yeah, I definitely do. <laughs> yeah, I don't really. Keep I got to watch that, out so. for some reactions from certain people who you know, might go to the premiere or see an advanced uh, screening of it for a review. Like, this, you know, I just might have to mute the word Star Wars as the last Jedi <laughs> that week because it's. As much as a great job Lucasfilm does as far as, you know, waiting as long as they can to show screenings, like they show it the week of when the movie comes out, which is rare for any movie to do that. So it's appreciated. But even in that short amount of time, the word's going to get out there and there's going to raise origin and her family history is going to be known. and It's going to be out there before the movie actually comes out. So mm-hmm. it's up to each and every one of us as fans, you know, to go on a total blockout or blackout and just be really really careful when you're on social media because you're you might come across it uh easier than you might think so right at the same time i do feel like i mean people it seemed like people generally did a pretty good job of keeping mum about uh han getting killed in the force awakens like that wasn't something that i saw you know sort of rampantly being spread around as a spoiler on social media um and i think people are generally pretty aware of like not spoiling stuff for for other fans but at the same time i could see where this might be different because it's going to be a lot more of a topic of discussion um i i think as much as it kind of was you know sad and like kind of a shocking moment within the movie when han got killed like especially us diehard fans like nobody was really surprised that they made the decision to kill han in the movie um you know like when it happened and the way that it happened might have been a surprise but 
you know, nobody afterwards was like, oh my gosh, I never saw that coming. Um, because if you know anything about Harrison Ford and his history with Star Wars, like you probably did see that coming. Whereas, I, you know, I, I feel like people have so many different theories and opinions about Ray going into this, that coming out of it, everybody's going to want to talk about it and be like, oh, what did you think of the reveal? Who was right? You were right. I was right. Whose theory was closest? Blah, 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 blah. So yeah, that's definitely going to be something to watch out for. Yeah, it's, it's going to be a crazy time, those, like, two weeks leading up to release or the week of, <laughs> or yeah. even that whole month of December. Yeah, but anyway, we will come back to Ray's parentage later. Um, let's see, what's the next lineup in these articles that we've got to talk about? Oh, more stuff back on Octo. Um, oh, now we get to talk about the Porgs, <laughs> which the internet has been going crazy over ever since this came out. Um, yep, the Porgs have become the sensation of The Last Jedi before the movie's even released. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, I, I can't blame people. Like, they are pretty adorable. They've got a screenshot here of one, like, sitting in the cockpit of the Millennium Falcon in front of Chewie. It's like Chewie's, like, adopted a little pet one or something. Yeah. Um, and there should be some funny moments between Chewie and the Porgs. Yeah. Yeah, and we talked about these guys before because the first time we saw them was in that behind-the-scenes video that came out at D23. Um, but they're the little bird-like creatures that live on Octo that we had heard about in rumors and initially thought might be the uh, Converies from Rebels. Um, but no, they're Porgs. They're their own little things. And honestly, I mean, let's be real. They're cuter than Converies. Um, I don't know if there's going to be any mysticism or force sensitivity to these guys. They're probably just you know, cutesy little animal things. Um, and it was funny because Ryan Johnson was talking about how he came up with the concept for him. And he's like, when they went to uh, just do like location scouting and stuff on uh, the island of Skellig Michael, um, where they film, you know, all the scenes on Octo, um, he said there's like puffins all over the place. Like it's just this one kind of bird that you see like everywhere on the island. And in this, you know, kind of isolated place, like it stands out because like there's not really any other you know animals or people around it's like just emptiness and you know nature and like just these birds all over the place and so he's like okay i want to translate that to star wars we need some kind of little you know fluffy bird creature that can you know just be like the one native thing here um well, not the one, because we'll talk about the other guys in a second but um yeah they've got uh you know so they just through these cute little porgs in there, you know, the fluffy penguin looking things with almost like puppy seal faces. Um, and since then, you know, like I said, people have just been going nuts and I don't know, are there, I don't think there's already stuffed ones available for sale. Cause like none of the official merchandise has gone on sale yet, but you know, like on force Friday, you can go get yourself a plushy porg. I'm sure. And they'd be stupid not to. <laughs> There's none out there to buy. Yeah. I mean, like, I, I feel like stuffed porgs from The Last Jedi are going to be like dancing baby group toys from Guardians of the Galaxy. It's <laughs> like, if somebody doesn't make one of those, you are missing out on a huge money-making opportunity. Yep. Yeah, the porgs are taking over social media, too. I mean, porg memes are all over the place. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, they're just everywhere. I mean, it was, so there's already t-shirts out for them of course not officially lucasfilm ones but like from sites like t public and those type of 
sites that sell shirts, you can get some Porg related <laughs> designs on your T-shirt. So you can go into the Last Jedi sporting your Porg T-shirt and just you know be wearing it right now if you wanted to. The Porgs are taking over. <laughs> yep. Um, yeah. So they talked about those guys, and then also. Um, they introduced these new aliens that we had not heard or seen before, um, called the caretakers. And, uh, yeah, I think that's just like the name of the species, right? Or, I mean, there might be some other alien name for them, but at least in here, like that's all they call them is the caretakers. Yeah. And they're described as, uh, Ryan Johnson calls them these sort of fish bird type aliens um, who live on the island and he says they've been there for thousands of years and they essentially keep up the structures on the island um and so you know again it's cool the, the idea of this being like the first jedi temple um and you know having these almost sort of primitive creatures that are like still around obviously long after the jedi have abandoned these places and that are still just taking care of these ancient buildings and stuff and i mean they they look kind of like reptilian, like nuns. Mm-hmm. Um, and Ryan Johnson says they're all female. And, you know, I wanted them to feel like a remote sort of little nunnery. Um, and, uh, you know, they're all like practical, uh, you know, um, people inside the costume. And so, although he's, well, he says they're animated with a person inside. I don't know if he means like just controlled by a person or if they maybe have like CGI faces or something like that. But, um, I get the sense that these are at least, you know, to some extent, like practical uh, costumes and, uh, you know, physical creatures. They even say like Daisy Ridley brought a friend on set one day who got to play one of them. Um, And he says they wear clothes and speak in an alien tongue. So it should be interesting to see, uh, I don't know what role, if any, these characters play in here. Like if they're just, you know, if it's purely just sort of background uh characters on octo to just kind of add more history and depth to it or if they're actually going to play any sort of role in the story um but i don't know i i just think it's really cool to see um i don't know just more of the stuff that we're going to discover here i mean it's getting me excited just again as i was talking about how excited i am for learning just all the force stuff that we're going to learn on octo like and just knowing that there's, oh, there's ancient aliens there, even though they're just like nuns that take care of the place, like they're probably not force sensitive or anything, but just feeling like I know a little bit more about the history of the place is like even getting me more excited. No, I agree. Right when I first saw their image and read the article, I just became fascinated with these new creatures just because it was something that was unexpected when they saw that image and then reading the article about it. So, you know, just the whole idea and the concept of them, I this thing sounds really, really cool. The fact that they've been there for thousands of years and they're considered the caretakers of this Jedi temple. So, yeah, I'm kind of curious, like what you were saying, how much in-depth we'll learn about them in the actual uh, film and as far as like their background story. I kind of have a feeling, you know, they'll be there walking around, right? Just such, you'll see them interacting with Luke and that they don't really want him there, but yet <laughs> they deal with him being there. So maybe we'll get more as far as their history and uh, their purpose in like a novel or a short story or a comic some about them later on but yeah right now i'm just you know fascinated i like their design of their like reptilian look and i mean alpha's looking like nuns um i think it looks cool it's something unique and different uh, for this particular star wars movie and you know just speculating too like the reasons why you know they're still there looking over those first jedi temples is it because maybe their species was 
you know, one of the first Jedi, the one who established uh, this Jedi temple, and, you know, they just followed in his footstep as a species, and that's why they're taking care of it so much, even still to this day when the Jedi aren't around anymore. So there's a lot of speculation you can have with these caretakers and, you know, why they're on Acto or Acto and just, you know, wondering, you know, how they're going to, if they're so significant that, you know, they're going to help Luke and Ray discover certain things on the planet. Like maybe they're the ones who take them to, you know, that tree we've seen in some behind the scenes uh, photos and in, in the trailer where all those books are there. Maybe they lead them to that section or they're the ones who showed Luke originally. So yeah, there's a lot of stuff they can do with these caretakers that I'm really excited to learn about, whether it's in the movie or later on in other stories. I just think they're a cool idea to bring about on the planet of Octu, knowing that it is the home of the first Jedi Temple. So, yeah, it was a nice surprise to get when reading this article. Mm-hmm. And it also says, uh, you know, they're not thrilled to have, um, you know, Luke hanging around. They can communicate with him, though. Um, you know, through their alien language, I guess he can understand them. Um, but then Ryan Johnson says, you know, they're not thrilled to have him hanging around. They just tolerate his presence. Um, so, you know, yeah, they might just be kind of puttering around doing their own thing. Um, or maybe they like begrudgingly help him out in, in certain instances or whatever. Um, or maybe because they just tolerate him, but, you know, aren't thrilled that he's there. Like maybe they don't really talk much and who knows, maybe we'll find out like at the end of the movie that they're the key to some, Mm-hmm. you know secret knowledge or something that uh, luke's been after the whole time um but then this last section i think is maybe the coolest part of this article and we've talked about this a little bit um we talked about it a little bit previously when we were talking about luke and ray and the whole jedi mythology and everything um but i'll just go ahead and read most of this i mean the sort of the um subtitle on this section of the article is jedi cave paintings um, but it's got a picture here of that shot from the trailer of like the the books inside the tree with the light shining on it. Um, and it says, we know from the teaser trailer that there is a tree-like structure on the Octo Island and a fragile ancient book that looks like the Journal of the Wills, a Jedi scripture that dates back to the original Star Wars mythology created by George Lucas. And you know what? I don't know that that thought had ever even crossed my mind that that's what that might be. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but that is so freaking cool. Um, just, you know, as an idea, if that actually is the case, um, but especially with the fact that like in Rogue One, you know, we know that Baze and Chirrut are part of the guardians of the wills. And so that just that idea, um, that George originally came up with is still very much, you know, alive within the universe. And so, um, even though it's never been mentioned in any of the other movies, as far as that being like what the Jedi mythology is based on or anything like that, I think, you know, for that to be like this ancient text that Luke is looking at would be so cool. Except, I mean, in the, uh, that other shot in the trailer where he's kind of got his hand on the book, like it looks like just one book, but then of course on the shelf, there's a bunch of them. So I don't know, maybe that's just one of several, or maybe there are different volumes of the journal of the wills or something like that. But anyway, um, I just thought that was a really cool idea. And, you know, again, I'm not sure that I had ever thought of that before that like, oh, that's what that might be. But, um, you know, I thought that was, that would be a really cool nod and, and call back to that if, uh, that does end up being the case. But then, um, it says, Johnson said the last Jedi touches on mythical history, but doesn't dive deeply into creating a whole galactic religion, but there will be elements on Octo that deepen the mythology. 
Um, and then the quote from his he quote from him, he says, uh, hopefully it will be fun to discover in the context of the movie. He says, uh, my notion was that this place goes all the way back. This is where the cave paintings are. And Johnson said he had to resist the urge to make it look too clean, too modern. It had to be something more primitive. Um, and another quote from him, he says, the first designs that we had uh, were temples, and I just kept pushing it back and saying, no, think earlier, think earlier. Let's push this all the way back and see how deep we can go into the foundations of where this all started. So I love that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think that's really cool. And I know I figured you would love that because I know with um, even like Star Wars, the old Republic, you were you know, one of the people that was like, I know you had issues with the fact that like it looked too similar to, yeah. you know, the modern stuff, even though it's supposed to be like three or 4,000 years before the movies. Um, and as much as I think it would have been cool to see like, I don't know, an ancient Jedi temple that still looked a little bit more like a Jedi temple, you know, to go all the way back to when the Jedi were just like living in stone huts and carved out trees and like just starting to discover all this stuff about the forest before they built big elaborate temples and stuff. I think it's going to be really cool and really fun to get, you know, to go that far back and, and see, uh, you know, some of the origins of all of this. Um, and obviously, like he said, it's not going to be, you know, the whole purpose of the movie isn't just to like outline the entire history of the Jedi and all the principles of their religion and all that kind of stuff. So like as much as, you know, me and I'm sure a lot of other hardcore fans would be probably perfectly happy to sit there and just get a two hour Jedi history lesson. Um, you know, I'm kind of trying to temper my expectations in that department that like we shouldn't be expecting to see too much of that. But the fact that we're getting any of it at all, and honestly, I mean, the fact that even though he says, like, you know, it's not going to be too much, but just enough within the context of the story, like, I think it's going to be more than we've gotten before, in at least in any single Star Wars movie up to this point. Um, you know, probably the most that we're going to get to delve into, like, the history and the origins of the Force and the Jedi Order and all that kind of stuff. So that's going to be really exciting. That still is the number one thing I'm looking forward to in this movie. Yep. And I just love the fact that, you know, he wanted to push it as far back as they can go. I mean, have it be the starting point of the Jedi. Have it be the first Jedi temple, the first planet where, you know, they established the order. You know, they could have easily done, you know, oh, let's just go back to a certain point. But we still want to keep the origins of the first Jedi temple a secret or a mystery for now. But no, he wanted to push it back as far as they could. And for right now, I'm, I'm viewing it as the very first Jedi temple and why you still probably got to wait to see the movie if it's in fact where the order started on that planet. That's, you know, probably st they might not even re reveal that, but I would love it if Octo is, you know, the origin of the Jedi where everything started this, you know, and then even if, regardless if it isn't that, I just like the thought process that Ryan Johnson had, at least, you know, when thinking about it and going into production about this, you know, he wanted to push it back as far as they could and have it be where everything, you know, came from so i just like that that was the idea in his head going about when creating you know this part of the section of the movie yeah well i mean you know you talk about um you know that being like the site of the first jedi temple or whatever i mean han even mentions that in the force awakens like obviously it was kind of just a rumor um but he says you know when he says like the people that knew him best uh think he went looking for the first jedi temple um i mean that to me kind of not a hundred percent solidifies it, but I don't know why they would throw that line in there and then, you know, have Ray finally 
get to Luke on Octo and be like, oh, well, actually, this was the second Jedi Temple. The first yeah. one is still out there somewhere. Um, and I mean, it's not like something that they need to chase down. Um, you know, that would be like one heck of a MacGuffin in the movie if it was like, oh, the only way we can stop Kylo Ren is we have to find this one thing that is, you know, we can only get from the very first Jedi Temple, and that's not where we are right now. We still have to, like, here on Octo, we got to find the location to this other even more ancient planet. Like, I don't think that's going to be the case. Um, so, you know, I mean, whether this is the very first Jedi Temple or not, I think, like you said, it is still just really cool to see them go that far back in the history. Um, but, I mean, I see no reason why this wouldn't just be, you know, the first one. I think it makes perfect sense to have it that way. Um, at least maybe, like, if not the place where the Jedi Order first originated, maybe, like, the at least the first place where, like, they started kind of coming together and meeting up after individually kind of, you know, maybe small groups of them or something had already started studying the Force or something like that. Um, but then, you know, this being, like, where they all kind of came together um to you know have their first jedi temple or whatever and you know maybe kind of start the foundations of the jedi order yeah totally agree so much cool stuff <laughs> about octo just learning about it in these articles from the lucan race up to now you know the caretakers and their role just the planet in general it's going to be i just hope we spend as much time there as possible yeah. in the movie where it doesn't feel you know rushed or you know you don't have that feeling i wish we had a little more time on octo hopefully it's you know the perfect balance when you mix it in with what the other characters are doing kind of like how dagobah was i felt that was the perfect balance of seeing luke's training with yoda there so hopefully yeah. it's going to be in similar vein to that yeah and I, I, really I, cool. I think it will be um and you know ryan johnson has talked about too like the idea of you know people kind of comparing this to the empire strikes back and worrying that it's going to be too similar where like um you know, it's the second act, it's, you know, they talk about it being darker and stuff, obviously you've got another battle with Imperial Walkers, but then you've also got the heroes split up, and uh, Luke and, you know, Rey is off training with Luke and doing the Jedi thing, and then Finn and Rose are off with the Resistance and going off to, uh, you know, Canto Bite, which is, you know, could kind of fill in for Cloud City in this case, but he was saying that, like, no, it's it, like it's not really intentional to be that way. That's just kind of like the natural progression of the story. Um, and I mean, I, I think it's still going to be really cool to see, you know, all that stuff going on at once. I just hope it's not one of those movies where, like, one storyline is really interesting and then the other one is, like, not so much. So, like, every time they yeah. cut to Canto Bite, I'm like, no, 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 hurry up and go back to Octo. I want to learn more Jedi stuff. Mm, yeah. Which, knowing me, I might be like that anyway, just because, I mean, it's it's Luke and Rey and, you know, all that good stuff that I'm super excited for. Actually, when I said that, like, the Jedi history and mythology and stuff, it was, you know, the thing I was most looking forward to about this movie. That's kind of, I mean, it's right up there with Luke Skywalker. He just kind of ties into all that, but just, you know, seeing Luke as like a main character for the whole movie and not just 10 seconds at the end. And then what we were talking about earlier with the potential of him, you know, going through all this character building stuff and then the, the potential, um, you know, big triumphant earned moment at the end where we finally get to unleash the awesome Jedi master that we've all been hoping to see for so long. That's probably what I'm most excited about. 
Yeah, it's all going to revolve around Luke. Yeah, <laughs> which you know, Luke and the Force and the Jedi and all that good stuff. Yep. Whoever hired Ryan Johnson for this movie was a freaking genius. <laughs> yeah, I got to agree. So far, everything we're hearing and seeing, it looks like he's doing a fantastic job with it and he's hitting all the right buttons, at least for what makes us excited for a Star Wars movie. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm almost like annoyed by how hyped up I'm getting right now. And obviously this is Star Wars, we're getting it hyped up anyways, but like I'm trying to like be really careful and analytical in my brain about like the stuff that we're going to be learning or, or like the stuff that we know so far about, you know, what we're expecting to see in the movie and stuff and I'm like, yeah, you know, but kind of take it with a grain of salt or don't get too excited or, you know, it might not actually end up being that awesome and I'm like no, like all the signs are pointing towards this movie being really freaking awesome. I know. There's, yeah, right now I haven't read or seen anything that made me so far cause for concern. Like, I don't know about that yet. There's things, you know, you're more excited about than others, but nothing that made you pause for concern anyway right now. Mm-hmm. Which is awesome to be have that feeling when we're this close to the movie. <laughs> yeah. And I, I, I guess the only thing for me that I would maybe think of as like a tiny sticking point and you know i've probably talked about this before just the the lack of kind of new stuff but it seems that we're getting a little bit more new stuff in this movie than we did in the force awakens but still oh, yeah. I, I totally think they're making up for that really it's like yeah no I, I think they are making up for it in a lot of ways i especially with the the scenery Um, you know, the different locations and environments that we're going to be going to. And I know we're going to get some new like ships and speeders and all that kind of stuff and alien species and all that. Um, I think it's, if anything, it's mostly just like the fact that we, oh, here come some bigger and better Imperial walkers. Um, And then also, you know, that like, oh, the resistance has X-wings and A-wings now, but like not any, well, they do have their bomber ships too. So like, at least we're, we're getting some new ships for that. Um, of course, of course, I got Kylo Ren's Tie Silencer, which I am like madly in love with. So, um, but yeah, that's the only thing. That, again, I'm not like super worried about or like, oh man, this looks bad. But you know, the only thing that I'm like, okay, that might be one thing that after the fact I go like, oh yeah, maybe I should have seen that coming. Um, that I'm not like a hundred percent, you know, thrilled about. But um, the only thing that you know could be. A- a dent in the movie is what decided to do with Ray. What's her origin story? I mean, but I can't worry about that right now. Because That's true too. There's really not anything to base off of, you know, to lean one way or the other right now for me anyway. So mm-hmm. we'll worry about Ray once we see the movie and, you know, how that affects the enjoyment of it, depending on what her history is. Yeah. Yeah. Whether she's a Skywalker, a solo, a Kenobi, a rando as the kids call them nowadays. Or a Randallorian, as I like to call them. <laughs> as you know, have Randall parents, but yet they were Mandalorians back in the day. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, yeah, like you said, that that could be one thing that maybe is a, a sticking point. But that's one of those things that I'm just hoping that, like, whatever it ends up being, I hope is just like the right decision for the story. And even if it's like, oh, I was expecting this, but instead it's this, I want to be like, oh, but I see why they did that, and it makes exactly, sense. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, 
yeah, anyway, uh, let's move on to the next one where we're talking about, ooh, Supreme Leader Snoke and the Praetorian Guards, which we finally have a good look at. Um, and I have to say, these guys look pretty dang cool. Um, I'm just you looking at... You know what? It's, you know, for me, like, I like them, but I just don't love them just yet. Not, like, when I heard reports about the Praetorian Guards, and, you know, we first heard, oh, they might be, you know, kind of similar to uh, Palpatine's Royal Guards in Return of the Jedi and Attack of the Clones, Revenge of the Sith. But then when we start, you know, making Star Wars had some of those concept arts where they might look a little different, I got excited about them. But when we've seen these images of them, I just don't love them like I did, you know, Captain Phasma and the Death Troopers when I first saw their cool new designs. But I think they look cool. I'm just, you know, not fully in love with them just yet. And that image they released on Entertainment Weekly, like they almost look like they're toys. <laughs> they're, they like material of their like, armor looks different. I mean, yeah. And I've kind of been thinking that all along from just like some of the leaked images and stuff that we've gotten of them. I mean, not from like leaked, you know, drawings or concept art or whatever, but some of like the product packaging and stuff. I mean, yeah, their their armor does have just the very I mean, it's hard to describe, but just sort of the the material and like the finish of it um, yeah. almost has like a plasticky kind of look. But it's I don't know, it's unique in that way, I guess, like. Mm and i wouldn't say i absolutely love it either i mean when you say like oh you don't love it as much as you love phasma or death troopers i'm like oh well yeah i wasn't saying i love it that much um i mean for you i don't know if you love oxygen as much as you love phasma <laughs> and death troopers but like dude i wouldn't need oxygen because hopefully their helmets have filters or i can breathe without it so <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah no just i mean it's I don't know, like, it's it's just sh striking and yeah. different and it, the way that they look. And I think it is one of those things where it's a good balance of, like, yeah, it looks evocative of Palpatine's royal guards, but looks different enough that it doesn't look like they just completely copied it. It looks like an upgraded version of royal guards. Because uh, Ryan Johnson talks about in this article how, like, yeah, the royal guards, like, looked cool, but they never really did anything, and they kind of just stood there. And, like, they had weapons, but it was kind of hard to picture, like, okay, what would these guys look like if they had to, you know, leap into action to, like, defend the Emperor? And he said that's what he wanted for these guys with Snoke. Like, he wanted he wanted to, to sort of evoke that same look and that same feeling of those royal guards, but he was like, I want these guys to look like they're ready to spring into action. I want them to look more mobile and more, you know, sort of fierce and, and you know, just action ready. And I think this totally nails that. I mean, obviously they're still kind of in like, you know, red head to toe, but they've got armored, you know, chest pieces. And I mean, they almost look kind of like knights, but then he also talks about how uh, he wanted them to be very like samurai influenced. Mm. Um, yeah. I do love that. They have that medieval samurai design and feel to them. I think that is really cool. And I also think you gotta, at least for me, while I'm not fully, you know, in love with them just yet, I might be when I see him actually in motion in the movie or they show like some scenes of them or shots in a trailer where we see him in action. That can change <laughs> the look on him totally where they might look a little unique and strange in these still images, but it might be totally awesome when we see them in motion. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think hopefully it will be, I'm still kind of wondering how much action we're actually going to see them in, in the movie. Um, yeah. If I gotta be honest, Ryan Johnson's quote, 
in this article, while you know he did, it was cool to hear him say that they had to look like they can fight. He didn't. He made it seem like you know, like in their history, that something you know you knew they were fighters because he mm-hmm. says they you know were describing the old Imperial Guard. He says they look more ceremonial, and you never really saw them in actions. But with these guys, like you said, that's look like samurai. They have to look like they're built to move, and you have to believe they could step forward and engage if they have to. Right. <laughs> so it makes yeah. me think, you know, yeah, you know they can fight, but are we going to see them? But again, in that image, we do see that they have their weapons drawn. So in other images, you know, that have leaked out, show them what their weapons. So hopefully we will see them in action. But hearing Ryan Johnson's quotes there made me, you know, a little less confident than maybe I was earlier that we were definitely going to see him in action. It might just be something that's implied when we see him on screen. Yeah. And he also says they stick with Snoke. So they're essentially bodyguards. And we have also heard that, you know, Snoke still isn't going to have a huge role in this movie. Um, Or at least in terms of, you know, sort of unsolved mysteries and finding out Mm. who's who and whatnot. Like we're, we're going to find out a lot more about Ray and her parents and that whole mystery. But, you know, if there is an, you know, an answer or a mystery to, you know, the question of who Snoke is, like, I don't think we're really going to get a lot of answers about that in this movie. Um, and so, you know, I don't know how much actual screen time he's going to have or like how much we're going to see him around, but it seems like the Praetorian guards are going to be pretty much limited to just being with Snoke. Yeah, and he did say even though, you know, Snoke's not going to have a huge role in the movie, we'll see more of him than we did in The Force Awakens. And definitely not just in a hologram form because uh, even though this wasn't part of the Entertainment Weekly batch of images, we did get some leaked images that came out like a week before. And there's like our best look of Snoke yet mm-hmm. in one of those images where we see him in his gold robe and just, you know, his face like better than we ever have since in the force awakens this hologram and when i saw the image of him it made me think man he looks a lot more human than i thought he did in the force awakens and then also too where it made me think well, wonder why they decided to go full-on motion capture uh with this character because like i said it looks more human where they could have just done you know makeup and prosthetics uh to on someone's face to have it done in live action without the motion capture so and then but I know we were talking about this uh, in one of our uh, Battlefront matches a week ago where, you know, it's probably more likely because of the height that is going to be where he's like almost seven feet tall. So mm-hmm. that's probably the big reason why. But when I saw that image um, that leaked out, it just struck me as far as, you know, how human, how more human he looked than I originally thought. But I think Pablo Hidalgo a few days ago or maybe it was a week ago said on Twitter that uh, he is an alien species. So even though he does kind of look humanoid, he is end up going to be an alien species. But we don't know which one just yet. Yeah, that makes sense. Because um, also, and we've kind of always been assuming that he's kind of unnaturally like tall and thin, but there have mm-hmm. actually been some leaked images of like toys coming out. Um, and you see, there's, you see a toy of like Snoke next to a Praetorian guard, and you can see he's like at least a full head taller. Um, so yeah, this guy's probably around like seven or eight feet tall. Um, and I think we were talking about this on our most recent one too or maybe it was while we were playing battlefront the other day i don't know it was sometime when i was talking to you about star wars um about how like from 
you know, at least from what I can recall, like they cast Andy Serkis for this part before they even really had kind of settled on like a final design of what Snoke was going to look like. Yeah. Um, and we had seen like some leaked concept art images where he looked more reptilian and almost had like a snake head kind of thing going on. Um, and so, you know, I don't know if they always knew that it was a possibility that he could look humanoid and they just wanted to do motion capture because they wanted him to you know they knew they wanted him to be like not just regular human but it you know if not completely alien then at least be like tall and thin and imposing and disfigured and whatever um but uh they did say in here that um you know we had heard some some rumors or speculation or whatever uh that since we're seeing Snoke in person in this movie, that he might actually be a puppet and not CG. Um, and Ryan Johnson, uh, you know, debunked that. He said, no, it's entirely a mocap performance. Um, and he said, uh, Neil Scanlon, who's the creature designer, built a maquette that we had on set for lighting reference and to give the actors a sense of what it was going to feel like. And then we scanned that and ILM used it in their renderings, but Snoke will be an entirely CG creation. Um, and then... Um, you know, it's just awesome too reading him talk about Andy Serkis. Um, and he says, uh, well, and it's just, uh, you know, the last part of the article here, we're talking about Snoke. I'll just read the rest of this where um, it says, Johnson says Serkis will deliver uh, satisfying menace when we finally get up close and personal with the First Order's ruler. And then it has a quote for him where he says, uh, I'd be sitting at the monitor just with my eyes as big as dinner plates, uh, Johnson said. It's one of those performances where after every line, I'd look over at whoever's standing next to me with an expression on my face like, oh, my God, we just got that. Um, <laughs> which makes me really excited because honestly, like Andy Serkis is one of my favorite actors for the sole reason that I love Lord of the Rings and I love, love, love. Gollum and just that character and his performance. And I'm not saying I don't like the other stuff he's done as well. I mean, his, like the way he does uh, Caesar in the planet of the apes movies is just phenomenal. I haven't seen the, the, the most recent one yet actually, but I still want to. Um, and I would I just, actually go as far to say, I think his performance as Caesar is better than Gollum, but that's a debate for a whole nother podcast. Yeah. Well, and it's, uh, I mean, f maybe from a technical aspect and especially the fact that he puts so much effort into that, like, and I know for both Planet of the Apes and for King Kong, he would go to, you know, zoos or wildlife reserves and like spend time observing gorillas or apes or chimpanzees or whatever, just to, you know, perfect like those movements and mannerisms um, to really like incorporate that into, into his performance. And I have like a ton of respect for just, you know, his whole process and the way he goes about doing it. But Gollum is just like one of my favorite characters of all time. And I you know, watch, uh, you know, just some of those scenes in those movies, especially, I mean, the Lord of the Rings movies are, are great. And I would definitely say those are clearly better than, you know, the Hobbit movies. But in that first Hobbit movie, the scene with Bilbo and Gollum doing the riddles in the cave, that might be like my favorite Gollum scene in all of the Middle Earth movies. And I can just imagine like being the director on set, watching that happen. I would just be like, giddy with excitement if that were me um and so thinking about him bringing that same level of performance to star wars is just like oh yes this could be very exciting um because also and again i forget if this was on our last episode that we were talking about this or if it was just you know sometime in between um but i was saying how like i almost 
felt like his performance was like a little bit wasted in the force awakens just by virtue of the fact that like a he didn't get a lot of screen time we didn't really like i mean snoke wasn't a particularly like fascinating character or anything just in that movie itself because he didn't really get much to do but then also the fact that like i said like when andy circus was cast for that they didn't even know what snoke was going to look like yet and not just when he was cast but i think even when they were filming the movie like, I remember reading um, interviews with him where he was kind of talking about his process and he was saying, like, it's the first time that I've ever done a motion capture performance not knowing what the final performance was going to look like or not knowing, you know, exactly like what the character that I was playing was supposed to look like. And so I'm sure that was, you know, an interesting challenge for him as an actor, but, you know, there are probably certain nuances or mannerisms or whatever that he could have put into it if he had you know a more clear picture of like what character he was actually playing and so i think now that that's established that probably gives him a lot more ground to play with um and so you know even though we're not expecting to like see a whole lot of snoke or like he's not gonna really be the the show stealer in this movie at least as far as we know i mean maybe maybe he could be for all we know but um i mean he's definitely not like my most anticipated thing going into this movie but still like you know i i am always down for seeing more uh learning more about snoke and seeing more of him and then also just getting to see more of andy circus do his thing so i'm pretty excited for that as well yep i would concur <laughs> and like i said it's good to know that we will be seeing more of him than we did in the force awakens so we'll have that to look forward to any time anybody says concur i want to follow it up with master kenobi should go <laughs> you're right, bits. <laughs> is that the only time concur is said in star wars I don't know. oh probably <laughs> you would think the jedi would say it more though yeah well no because then there's the other scene where they're talking about um you know going to kashik or whatever and you, i don't know if it's kashik or going to uh uda power some but yoda just says you know i agree and then everybody else goes, aye, aye. And he says, very well, Council of Dirt. That's um, true. And yeah. then he says, I concur. It's just Kiati Mundy's thing then. <laughs> yep. Um, yeah, there's a tangent we haven't gone on before. <laughs> um, anyways. the word concur you use in Star Wars? <laughs> <laughs> Not often enough. I concur. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. Um, all right. Well, let's get on to part five here. Um, and this one is, uh, you know, talking about Carrie Fisher in her final role as Leia and, um, you know, just, I mean, I don't even know how you tackle this one, but, um, you know, I'm sure this is going to be, you know, a big, you know, emotional uh, sort of resonance with the audience, you know, going into this movie. Um, just knowing that, you know, this is the last time we're going to see her, you know, do this as Leia. And, um, you know, I don't know. Obviously, they're talking a lot with, um, you know, everybody on set and everything about, you know, just what it was like working with Carrie and, you know, all this stuff that we've heard, you know, over and over again um since she passed about just you know how wonderful she was to work with and stuff and um you know but it, it does sound like 
um, you know, a lot of people kind of reassuring that like she at least sounds like is going to be, you know, very uh, memorable in this movie and that it's going to, you know, sort of do her justice. And obviously it's not like they intended this to be her send off because obviously they didn't know what was going to happen. But, um, you know, hopefully that looking back on it will be like, okay, well, you know, at least we got that. Like that was a, a really good you know note to end on. Um, and again, I don't know what they're going to do with her character going forward. Um, it's, there's still, you know, a lot of discussion around that too, as far as how they're going to address that in episode nine. But, um, you know, I think it, hopefully it sounds like this is going to be, you know, a very like fitting, you know, swan song for her, um, in the last Jedi. So, yeah. And even Ryan Johnson was saying how, you know, they can never know that this was, you know, going to be the last Star Wars movie she would be in as Leia. But in watching the film, he says it's going to be a very emotional reaction to what she does in this movie, you know. And when I hear that, it makes me think, you know, it might be something in regards to interacting with her son Kylo Ren in the movie or maybe the, her first reunion with Luke. Because, you know, mm-hmm. that's that's going to be a very emotional moment for the audience and us Star Wars fans seeing them two together again. So... It just makes me think it's going to tie into, you know, the family ties of Leia, whether it's Luke or her son, Kylo Ren, or maybe even Rey, if she's part of, you know, her family history in some way. So there's definitely, you know, a bunch of different things you could think about when Ryan Johnson says, you know, an emotional reaction. But I think it will be family related. Mm-hmm. And that was one of the things in this article regarding Leia and Poe that I thought was really cool because, you know, first off, one of the things that... Uh, Ryan Johnson describes Leia in the character, you, you know, is that she's been defined by loss. You know, she's been through so much in the saga, starting with the loss of Alderaan and then, you know, uh, Kylo Ren falling to the dark side, her and Han separating for a bit, and then Kylo Ren killing Han. So she's been through a lot, but yet she keeps fighting and getting back up. And, like, she's still the leader of the resistance in this movie. You know, nothing phases her, which is, you know, so true to the character. It's great to see that will continue. But what I really like here is how you know, her relationship with Poe is going to be in the movie where Poe's almost going to be like a surrogate son to her, which, again, is one of those things where maybe you didn't necessarily think about as a way that the movie's going to go, but it makes perfect sense when you think of these two characters. And even reading some of the Poe Dameron comics that's going on right now, it really drives home, you know, that right now at that point in the timeline where the Poe Dameron comics takes place before The Force Awakens, um, uh, Leia is kind of treating Poe as, you know, shaping up to be this, you know, better fighter pilot and eventually a great leader for the Resistance. And it's cool that we're going to see that more in The Last Jedi, where she's kind of grooming him to be a leader for the Resistance. And that, you know, it even says in the article that they're viewed as family. And just that uh, she sees him as a potential for a truly great leader of the Resistance and beyond the Resistance. So I just like that idea where despite all the losses that she had, especially more recently with Han and Kylo Ren, or I should say Ben Solo when referring to their loss, because that's who she lost. She lost Ben Solo to mm-hmm. Kylo Ren. So, But then Poe is going to kind of fill that gap a little bit. So this is going to be, you know, as we're all excited and geeking out about all the potential stuff with Luke and the Force and all that, there's going to be a lot of great like emotional stuff with the characters and family. And one of the quotes in the article was that, uh, you know, family isn't necessarily tied to blood in the Star Wars universe, which, you know, you can say is true when you look at, you know, the relationship between Han, Luke, and Leia. Of course, Luke and Leia are related, but Han's not, but they're, you know, they could be viewed as like siblings together. Han's like their older brother. 
and then the Obi-Wan and Luke relationship. He was like his father figure. So that rings true to a lot of characters, and it looks like that's going to be the same for Leia and Poe. So that's just another relationship and character dynamic I'm excited to see in The Last Jedi. So again, just <laughs> everything we're hearing about the characters and where they're at in this movie just sounds so, so good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you know, like you were saying too about, um, I mean, I love this idea of her sort of pushing Poe to become like a, a leader of the resistance to take on more responsibility and not just be, you know, the hotshot fighter pilot. Um, and again, just continuing on with, you know, what I was talking about earlier about just loving like the direction that they're taking these characters. Um, I think in some ways it's kind of unexpected for me, like, you know, I, I wasn't sure sort of what to expect, but it's like once you kind of establish them in these roles, I'm like, okay, you know, Poe could just be like the, you know, this cool, you know, smooth talking fighter pilot for the rest of the trilogy. And like, I'm sure most of us would be fine with that. But then thinking about the ways that they're, you know, pushing and changing these characters, it's like, oh, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um And just kind of having them all kind of grow and evolve and, um, you know, putting them in new and challenging situations and kind of seeing how they respond. So, um, yeah, I, I think it'll be really interesting to see the dynamic between those two characters. Hopefully Poe still gets, you know, his share of just cool action moments, but um, seeing him as kind of a, a heroic and, you know, more responsible leader too, I think will be really cool. Um, and then as far as Leia, yeah, like you were talking about, um, you know, with Ryan Johnson saying, you know, there's something in here that's going to, get like a big emotional reaction from the audience and i think i mean part of it maybe i don't know if she'll kind of get like a big moment to shine as far as i don't know maybe using the force or something like that um but definitely at least as far as like on an emotional level like seeing her reunited with luke i think is going to be a big thing um and something that i do think is going to probably happen in the movie um especially if we know um Ray and Finn are going to be reunited again on uh crate you know maybe Luke and Leia will both be there as well I mean it would make sense for uh, Leia to be there if the you know whole rest of the resistance is there and it would probably make sense for Luke to be there if Ray is there um unless you know well I guess unless Ray pulled a you know the same kind of thing that Luke did in Empire Strikes Back where Luke is like no stay and complete the training and Ray's like no I'm gonna go help my friends um but no, I think, I mean, I definitely hope we get to see the two of those characters um, on screen together at some point. But I think we probably will. Um, and obviously, yeah, that's going to be, uh, you know, a big emotional thing. But hopefully something that will, um, you know, do justice to the whole situation and, uh, you know, make us glad that we at least got to see that. So, yep. Um and then, uh, so we've also got some new details on Benicio Del Toro's character. Still no name, I think, aside from, you know, just the fact they call him DJ. Um, but they said, uh, you know, actually, I guess as part of their cover story at Entertainment Weekly, Lucasfilm gave them, you know, the official one-liner on him. And they said, uh, DJ is an enigmatic figure whose tattered, tattered threadbare clothes and lackadaisical attitude conceal a sharp mind and expert skills. Um, and apparently he's like a slicer or something that uh, Finn and Rose, you know, are trying to track down on Canto Bite um, for some purpose or other. 
Yeah, um, you, <laughs> you know, know some, why yet, some part of their mission in this movie. Oh, and we also know that at some point they're going to be, you know, going undercover within the First Order. So, um, I don't know, maybe... Well, who knows? Maybe they need him to help them, like, forge fake First Order IDs or something like that. Mm. Yeah. Like I said, I mean, the biggest new information we got from here is that, you know, Finn and Rose, you know, they... They're the only ones who are going to interact with the character DJ that he is a slicer and they need, you know, a code breaker. But for what? We don't know. <laughs> but I just made me think when I was reading this description, like the early speculation that we were having when Benicio Del Toro was cast in the movie. Like, oh, is he going to be, you know, the villain, the First Order, you know, officer? Or maybe he's going to be part of the Knights of Ren. You know, he's going to be a villain character. But nope, he's going to be someone who's on, you know, neither side of the Resistance or the First Order. Just someone who's looking out for himself and goes wherever he's needed, regardless, you know, um, what side is asking for his assistance. So he's one of those shady characters where you can't really trust, Mm -hmm. which, you know, was a far cry from, like I said, those speculations and uh, rumors we were hearing before when he was first cast. So just funny how things play out like that, where the roles you think you can see actors in end up being something totally different. Yeah, definitely. Um, and we'll see, I mean, how big of a role he actually ends up having. I don't know if he'll just have, you know, a couple scenes with them on Canto Bite or if he ends up being, if it ends up being something where, like, once they find him, then he ends up sort of then getting wrapped up in a yeah. bigger role in the story, kind of like, you know, Lando or somebody like that. So, um, and it definitely seems like he, you know, maybe is fulfilling kind of that lando mold or archetype i guess if you want but he definitely seems more kind of low-key he's not all stylish with the you know the cape and the well-groomed hair and you know all that kind of stuff he definitely seems like a more like you said kind of shifty and shady and uh you know the type of dude that would lie low and not be you know running a whole city so um but yeah we'll see and i mean i wonder if especially just the fact that they're only calling him by initials right now like is there a big secret to this character is it like somebody that we've seen before is you know like i don't know what's going on there but um you know who knows maybe there'll be uh some big secret or you know some more information to be revealed about him in the movie or maybe it'll just kind of be a small supporting role and we're reading into it too much but um i don't know we'll find that out along with everything else come december yeah i'm kind of thinking it's the latter though he's just you know a small character for for this part of the movie i mean they got enough secrets to reveal in Mm -hmm. this trilogy so we don't need another one about dj that's true but at the same time i don't know that i mean dj just doesn't sound like a star wars name you know i still think i mean when we first got the reveal of him in the vanity fair magazine that we might not even hear his name at all and dj is just the word that or the name that we used to refer him to when we're talking about him in conversations and stuff and you know on set when they need to refer it to his character they call him dj but yet we'll never hear it in the actual movie mm-hmm. whoa oh what premonition did you just have well <laughs> yeah what if we never do find out his actual name in the movie but what if dj is just like a moniker that they made up to call him on set and stuff what if in the movie he goes by fulcrum huh. <laughs> but i don't know if it doesn't fit though with someone who's playing both sides you know so a shady character who does stuff for the first order or the resistance yeah but i mean 
this isn't the Rebel Alliance anymore. It's 30 years after the fact. I mean, it could just be like a little throwback kind of thing that they're using. Um, not to mention, like, I mean, in Rebels, like, you had Fulcrum was also, like, you know, Agent Callus was Fulcrum. Like, he was playing both sides. So, you know, I don't know. Just an idea that popped into my head. Um, you know, it's not something I'm going to be like, oh, yep, that's it. That's definitely what's happening. <laughs> The movie will be ruined if it's if he's not Fulcrum. Yeah. Oh yeah, no, I will be so disappointed. Um, but yeah, I don't know. So that'll be you know just one more, uh, you know, cool aspect of the movie to see. I mean, it is kind of one of those things with like once you get so many characters and so many different storylines and so many different things about this that we're excited about, um, you kind of realize at some point, like, okay, some of this is not going to be as big as others. Yeah. Um, you know, some of these things are, you know, some of these characters or storylines or whatever are like not going to maybe be as big of a part of the movie as we're, you know, maybe hyping it up to be. So I definitely think he's one of those characters that, you know, just could end up with not as much screen time just by virtue of the fact that like there's so much else going on. Um, you know, all the stuff we've talked about so far. And we didn't even mention from that article, they also talked about uh, Admiral Haldo a little bit um, and had another picture of Leia with her. Um, but, uh, you know, it was interesting, though, because also in, uh, you know, going back to the article with Leia and Poe and everything, um, they also were talking about just kind of the state of the resistance as a whole and um, seeing how they kind of react to everything that's going on. And it's like, you know, again, even though they wiped out Starkiller Base in the last movie, they also were, I mean, even though the Resistance was kind of separate from the Republic, they were still kind of, you know, they were on the same side, just had different ideals, and it was kind of, um, you know, hinted at at least that, like, some people in the Republic were, like, secretly supporting the Resistance, but now the Republic has been thrown into complete chaos by, you know, Starkiller Base wiping out the Hosnian system, and so it, the Resistance is, like, truly like cut off and like kind of pushed back on their heels in this movie. And even though the first order lost their giant planet killing weapon, they're kind of, you know, on the attack and it's, um, they're talking about seeing just how that affects people in the resistance and, you know, just sort of putting that strain on them. And I think even, um, yeah, in a quote from Ryan Johnson, he says, everybody's put in a pressure cooker right away and relationships crack and strain under that pressure. Um, and, you know, he says that was a really interesting thing to me, the notion of putting this small army under a lot of external pressure and showing some of the results within the resistance itself. Um, and obviously he doesn't, like, make any specific references, but I think, like, I think Admiral Haldo is going to almost be, like, a villain of the movie, or at least, like, sort of a, a foil or, like, a, a personal antagonist yeah. to Leia um, and maybe to Poe and some of the other people. Like, I think... She's going to be somebody who's, you know, on their same side from the fact that, like, she's within the resistance, but I think is going to be very much at odds with, uh, you know, some of our main heroes. No, oh, yeah, I could totally see that happening. Um, that could be one of those instances where, you know, Poe kind of has to maybe step up as a leader if, you know, her ideals aren't, you know, gelling <laughs> with Leia's and all that, where Poe might have to step up and take over where Holdo might, was at one time, but then Poe might have to take her spot. Yeah. Hmm. Be Admiral Poe. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure they'll call him Admiral Dameron. <laughs> yeah. Which actually kind of has a nice ring to it. It does. Um, 
but yeah, man, going right from, uh, you know, fighter pilot to admiral, that would kind of be a big jump. But I guess if, you know, I could see Leia grooming him for that, especially if she's, you know, doesn't like this Admiral Haldo and is like, you know what, I, I want Poe to replace you ASAP. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so, yeah, though, I mean, just one more, you know, interesting aspect of this to see, you know, when the movie comes out to see kind of what the state of the resistance is and what the state of the galaxy at large is. Like, I've probably said this before, but I hope we get a little bit better sense of that in this movie than we did in The Force Awakens, just in terms of sort of the the politics and the day-to-day life and just like the state of the galaxy as a whole. Um, and, you know, not going like real deep into it or going into a lot of detail, but I would, again, let's like to get like a little bit more of, um, you know, of a sense of what's going on there than we did with The Force Awakens. It was like, you know, they're talking about the resistance and the first order, but we don't know, like, wait, is there a Republic? Is there a Senate? Like what's happened in the past 30 years? Like what, what does the state of the galaxy look like right now? And then it's just like, Oh no, we're just going to cut the head off the Republic, fire the giant laser. And I was like, wait, is that Coruscant getting blown up? No. And then, you know, there's like a brief line about the Hosnian system later. Like, yeah, it was it was hard to kind of follow and and keep up with all that. So I hope we get a little bit better idea of that, um, you know, with what's going on there in this movie. Yeah, or at least make note of it in the opening crawl. <laughs> Something. Well, that too, um, and I think that'll probably be a good place for it, especially since this is picking up right where the Force Awakens exactly. left off. Um, you know, people Gotta fill saying, that space somehow. Yeah, <laughs> with some information. Yeah, and I keep seeing people say like, "Well, then, what's the crawl gonna be?" And I'm like, "Well, the crawl is probably gonna talk about like the fallout, or you know, the immediate aftermath of the stuff that we just saw happen in the Force Awakens." So, um, yeah, that'll you know be interesting to see as well, just sort of how they set all that up. Um, but I don't think it's gonna be like dot 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 three minutes later. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right. Well, now we get to uh, Article 7 of 8. So we're almost through all this. But we could probably do a whole two-hour podcast just talking about this. This is the one <laughs> sure uh, with, uh, you know, Ray takes her first steps toward uncovering her family history. Um, man, let's just dive right into this. Tim, what did you – I mean, what in here stood out to you? um in particular here's the thing i mean the big one i guess the part that stood out to me was what daisy ridley had to say about it where um she says you know yes it would potentially change her mind you know speaking of if you find out who her parents are or at least give her a little bit more a piece in moving forward but ultimately what's coming is coming and whatever abilities she has are there so personally i think it's less important than even she may think now this is something you know we were talking about a little earlier and just this whole article in general it didn't really make me lean towards you know one theory or the other where oh this definitely leans more to that she's going to be a skywalker or this leans more towards you know she's just going to be a rando to me it's you can make a case for both arguments if you wanted to and especially in that uh quote that daisy ridley said where you know i think it's less important than she that even she may think and i can take that where you know, let's say she is, you know, 
tied to Luke where she's his daughter or she's part of the Skywalker line or someone of significance like Kenobi or something. But she can, you know, have that realization that, yeah, that's an important legacy to live up to. But knowing where she's at now at this moment, maybe where she finds out her history in the movie, maybe she is fully or maybe not fully trained, but more trained than she ever was in her force abilities and, you know, ready to move on and, you know, we're talking about how her and Luke will probably leave Octo and join the rest of the resistance. Maybe it's at this point where, you know, where she finds out her family history, it really is not that important anymore because she completed the bulk of her training. And regardless of her family history, she's ready to move on to the next phase and in her life and do what she needs to do for the galaxy. So it really wouldn't be that important to, important to her anymore now that she's in this spot. At the other hand, you can, you know, look at it the other way if you wanted to and make the argument where, you know, maybe it's less important to her because, you know, her parents, you know, have no family legacy or history to live up to where they are like just random people, which as much as I really don't want to see that, it's something where, you know, she could think, okay, it's not that important, right? I don't have to live up to this big legacy of the Skywalkers or, you know, Kenobis or whatever the case may be. So I really think it's something when it's all said and done, I think it's going to be something that's might be weird to say, but split down the middle where it might not necessarily be her history is like definitely, you know, Luke's daughter, she's a Skywalker. And it's not going to be something where she's just the daughter of some random characters. It's going to be something where it's going to have significance, but yet be her, you know, still something that defines her where she's not tied to like the Skywalker line. And again, I'm still on the, camp that i would love her to continue the skywalker line and that she is you know luke's daughter or but at the same time reading this article and like i said it didn't make me even more you know leaning towards that way i think it could go either way really i really don't know how it's gonna end up but at the same time i what i'm hoping for is that there's some significance to it where mm. regardless of what it is in her history is it's important to the galaxy and important to the like her history and even to the Skywalker line in some way, because, you know, she is still going to be trained by Luke and, you know, he's passing down his knowledge to her. So, you know, we've heard theories that maybe even if she's not a Skywalker by blood, maybe, you know, she'll become like the adopted daughter of Luke and take on the Skywalker name. I think that could be something that could be pretty cool. Or like we speculated before the new, the force needed a new chosen one, or maybe if they don't call it the chosen one, but yet, she is a manifestation of the force, so there's still tons of ways it can go, but I just hope there is some significance to it where it's, it's just not, okay, her parents were these two, you know, random new characters we know nothing about, and, you know, she just, you know, happens to be strong with the force and now loose training, or that's it. That would be such a letdown to me. It would be like, what's the point of keeping it a secret if that's all it was? You could have mm-hmm. had a line of dialogue by Matt Kanata or something in The Force Awakens telling Han that, and, okay, it's all said and done. So... I don't think that's where they're going to go, and I would hate it if it did go that way because it would be such a you know anticlimactic reveal. It's like we waited two years for this. Like, <laughs> what's the point? So, like I said, I think it's going to be something that's going to placate towards both some of significance, but maybe starting something new with Ray as a character too. So, it's going to be interesting. But yeah, I think this article you can't look at it one way or the other. Where, oh yeah, she's definitely a brand new character. She's a or yeah, she's definitely a Skywalker. I think you can make an argument for both cases. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. I think you can definitely. Well, I think the biggest takeaway here is that it definitely seems like they're downplaying it a little bit. 
That's like, another thing. Depending on who you talk to or who's making these quotes, some downplay it. Like in this article, like Daisy Ridley kind of does. But then you hear Kathleen Kennedy and Ryan Johnson sometimes say, thinking back to the celebration interviews they did with like certain news outlets saying, you know, it is so it is something extremely important to the overall story of the film. So mm-hmm. it's kind of like depending on who's speaking on the subject at a certain point in time. Yeah. Well, I mean, here in the article, um, you know, they, they asked Ryan Johnson the question. They said, how much does Ray's past matter or is this a tangent fans have obsessed over unnecessarily? And uh, then the quote is, um, you know, to me, it's important insofar as it's important to her, Johnson says. And I think it's important to her in terms of what is her place in all of this. What's going to define her in this story? She was told in the last movie that the answer is not in the past. It's looking forward, but she's showing up on this island to talk to this hero from the past, which, I mean, you could almost take that as a hint that, like, wait, so is he saying that, like, oh, she can't escape this connection to Luke? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, it sounds kind of vague, so I'm not saying, like, oh, proof that she's a Skywalker. But, um, I mean, I do think, and then even... You know, the uh, the quote you were reading from Daisy Ridley where, um, you know, she was talking about like, well, she might find out the answer and realize like it's not even as important as she originally thought it was. Um, that just kind of makes me think, I mean, I think it is going to be important, but I don't think it's going to be a big shocking reveal within the movie. Which to me, if anything, kind of takes... It doesn't confirm any theories, but for me, it kind of takes a couple off the table. I don't think she's going to be a Kenobi, and I don't think she's going to be a Solo. Because either of those would just lead to more questions and make you go like, wait, what? And, you know, immediately make you want to know like, okay, well, how did this happen? How is this all connected? Da, 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 da. Whereas it... I mean, just the impression that I'm getting for right now. And so I'm not saying like, oh, I know everything. And like, those are definitely not going to happen. I'm just saying this is kind of my initial perception of it after reading this. I kind of get the sense that it's going to be something a little more low key. Like when we see this in the theater for the first time and we find like when we finally find out who Ray's parents are, I don't think the audience is going to be all gasping and shocked. I think it's going to be more like, oh, okay, that makes perfect sense. Like, that kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I've even probably said before that, like, I want her to be related to Luke and I want her to find out early in the movie so that they don't repeat, you know, just they're not repeating the same story beats of, you know, the whole I am your father, you know, shocking twist at the end. But I think, you know, now that I think about it, I'm like, I think they could reveal it towards the end of the movie. And the way that you avoid trying to repeat that same plot twist is have it not really be a plot twist. You know, build up Luke and Ray's relationship so much throughout the movie to where it feels like a father-daughter relationship. And, you know, because obviously, I mean, with Vader telling Luke that he's his father, I mean, that was so shocking because it's the hero and the villain. And you think one of them's going to kill the other or, you know, they're mortal enemies for life. And then find out, like, wait, what? That's his dad? And, like... You know, who would have thought of that? But if you spend the whole movie developing this bond between Luke and Ray, where, you know, it almost feels like a father-daughter relationship, and then at the end of the movie, Luke reveals to her, like, oh, by the way, like, I'm your father. And she just says, like, you know, I know. Or, you know, she's not surprised or something. Then it's like... Kind of like, like what Leia say every turn of the Jedi. When yeah. Her, he was a brother. Exactly. Um, 
you know, like I think that could work really well because then, you know, this kind of fits with what they're saying that like it's important to the story and it's important to Ray that she knows, but it's not going to be like, oh, snap, my dad's Luke Skywalker. Well, I guess I better become a Jedi then because it's like that's already what she's doing. Yeah. You know, it's not going to be that important to like her personal identity and her decisions because she's already set on a certain path that she's going to continue on whether she's related to him or not. But at the same time, I think it'll, you know, just bring peace and bring closure and you know but at the same time that still would open you know its own can of worms as far as unanswered questions about you know well okay then who's her mom and why did luke you know leave her alone on jakku and you know all that kind of stuff so i'm not saying that's definitely going to happen but i'm just saying you know i've seen some people be like oh man after reading those comments where they say like oh it's not that important or whatever they're like well i guess that confirms that she's a rando or you know i i guess you know she can't be related to luke anymore i'm like no i can definitely still see how she could be related to luke you know for all the reasons that i just described and i think you know that would be a really cool way to unfold it um to you know have that reveal and be like okay well we can't you know top the big dramatic reveals that we've done in the past you know when it comes to skywalker family lineage so instead let's go about you know revealing it a different way let's have it be more low-key and more of just sort of a satisfying story moment than a big shocking twist yeah and i kind of like that how you're describing it. it would you know be something that would be different but yet make perfect sense in the course of their relationship i would think too as we see it unfold in the movie and I think, too, where no matter what the reveal is, it's going to raise questions no matter what. Mm-hmm. I mean, even if they reveal her parents are randos and we, they're new characters, well, we're going to want to learn more about those characters. What was their story? Why, you know, they left Ray on Jack Koo on that. So there's as many questions you can have with any of those reveals. I mean, we'll see if they reveal it all in the movie. They might save it for episode nine where, you know, kind of, the episode nine might have the Obi-Wan and Luke moment on Dagobah where he tells more about, you know, what happened with him and Leia and hiding them and all that. So we'll see. I definitely think we're going to get the reveal in the movie, but we'll probably learn more about it in episode nine or, mm-hmm. you know, maybe even novels or uh, comics or something like that. But I hope it's all the main stuff's in the movies where, you know, we get a definitive answer of who she is and what her family history is going to be. So, yeah, like I said, I'm still not, 100% certain either way I know what I'm hoping for but I'm not necessarily sure that's going to happen so it's still in the wait and see mode right now where you know there's tons of theories out there and you just got to see which one they end up going with and uh, it would be really awesome if it's a theory no one's thought of yet or uh, that no one's speculated on but yet it's something that's awesome that <laughs> just makes total sense as everyone is happy with mm-hmm. that would be the, the great thing but it's going to be interesting, that's for sure. I mean, we only got four more months. That's It's going to be kind of sad when we're done talking about this. <laughs> we only got a few more episodes left to speculate, and pretty soon it's all going to be over. Yep. We'll be saying, you know, remember we were going crazy about who's Ray's family were and her history and all that? <laughs> it's going to be something that we it'll be weird to think about now, like years from now, where we were actually in this period where we're just going crazy trying to figure out what Ray's heritage is. So. Mm-hmm. Even though we're, you know, racking our brains about it now, we got to enjoy it while it lasts. <laughs> yeah, because I'm sure, you know, right after the movie comes out, we'll probably do like a four-hour review episode and then take a few weeks off over the holidays and, you know, just kind of digest all this and everything and then 
come back in January and I'll be like, all right, new episode. So, Tim, going into episode nine, who do you think raised? Oh, wait, we already know. Yeah, <laughs> we'll shed a little tear. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yeah, I'm sure, obviously, there's still going to be plenty to debate and speculate on and stuff um, going into episode nine. You know, as many an questions as they're going to answer in episode eight, I'm sure they'll, you know, pose plenty more questions as well that we'll have two more years to stir on and debate and theorize about and whatnot. So, um, and then, you know, they also mentioned in this article talking about, uh, Finn's family history as well, which is something that like, I don't know. I never really considered all too much. Yeah. Um, too. you know, cause we know that like as a stormtrooper, he was taken from his family at a young age. And, uh, you know, I, I'd never really thought there was like a big mystery there. Um, but then, you know, they ask John Boyega, will we find out more about Finn's family? And he says, yeah, definitely. But it's not explored in depth in episode eight, but he definitely has a past that is troubled. Um, I don't know how all that's going to play out. So it sounds like that might be something that we go into more in episode nine. Um, and I wonder if that's more just something personal for Finn where it's, you know, about him sort of escaping his past with the First Order and reconnecting with, I mean, you know, with the Resistance, but also just kind of reconnecting with people in general and being like, hey, I'm not a stormtrooper anymore. I can kind of live my live my life and just do things that, you know, normal people do when they're not forced into, like, combat training 24-7. So let me try to go find out who my parents are. Um, and in that case, see... In that case, I would be totally fine with, you know, them being quote unquote randos, you know, yeah. <laughs> because the the whole drive of the story isn't going to be like, oh, I hope he's related to, you know, Lando or some other character that we've seen before. It's going to be just like, no, I want that, you know, to develop as just part of his character arc, like getting to find out what his history is just for his own sake without there being this big mystery built up around it. But Ray needs to be a Skywalker. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but I do agree that part about Finn learning more about his uh, history was a bit a little surprising. I didn't think they'd go there in this movie. And like you said, John Boyega, since it's not, you know, fully explored in the movie, but, you know, they do, you know, examine it a little bit where he came from and, you know, why he made the decision to escape the First Order. And I guess that ties into his past. So it'll just be some good info to learn as we're watching the movie. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and then, I mean, to wrap this article up, uh, Ryan Johnson says the big thematic push and pull in the movie is the past and what role the past has in moving us forward into the future. So, um, yeah, definitely seems like there's going to be some, you know, interesting themes and character dynamics and all that kind of stuff in this movie um, that should just make it very intriguing and fascinating and, again, I'm trying to temper my expectations and failing <laughs> miserably right now. Man, there's going to be a lot to digest when we walk out of the theater. It's going to be one of those things where you come out of it, you know, hopefully it's like, oh, it was awesome. But at the same time, we're going to be, man, there's a lot to take in. Like, I don't know, like, where my mind is at right now. Yeah. <laughs> like, you got to process it for a little bit. Yeah, definitely. Um, all right. And then to wrap up here, this is uh, – you know, last but not least, almost just kind of tying up some loose ends here. Like their last article, they're talking about Kylo Ren, Captain Phasma, Maz Kanata, and Chewie. Um, but just kind of giving us a little more insight on where all these characters are going to be at. Um, and the first one they talk about is Kylo Ren. Um, 
and again, I mean, this is just such a fascinating character for me in terms of, you know, sort of where his head is going to be at. Um, and I'm wondering, like, is he still going to be conflicted at all? Um, you know, like, I mean, obviously he's still going to be the, the villain and I'm not expecting him to just like do a 180 and feel bad about killing Han and come back to the light side. But is there still going to be that conflictedness within him or is he just totally gone over to the dark side now? And, you know, sort of how does he recover from, you know, all the stuff that happened to him in the force awakens. I mean, they got a new picture of him here and you can see the scar that even though they moved it slightly, um, you know, it, I mean, this thing is running from his forehead, like all the way down to his neck. And you can yeah. see like, this guy is messed up. Um, and you know, just the look on his face looks like he's, you know, still struggling with a lot of stuff. Um, I mean, he doesn't really look too sure of himself one way or the other. Um, but just, you know, reading their little, uh, description here, it says, um, for Kylo Ren, the aspiring Sith let his last bit of light slip away when he drove his janky handmade lightsaber into the heart of his father, Han Solo. But there was no victory for Kylo Ren as he sank into the abyss. Instead, he was humiliated by a scavenger girl of all things. Um, and then Ryan Johnson says he's definitely been knocked off base. The defeat he had at the end of The Force Awakens, but even bigger than that, his huge defining act, which, spoiler alert, is the murder of his father, that's the more interesting thing to dive into. How has he dealt with that in his head? Where is he at in terms of that act, and what does it mean for him? And I'm glad that that's, you know, the main thing Ryan Johnson, you know, is, or CBS is more interesting, was, you know, how is it going to be after he kills his own father? And I think some of the stuff we've heard before, too, where, it didn't have the effect he was hoping for where he truly is like extinguished the light side out of him where maybe there is still a little bit of that conflict, maybe not as much as before, but maybe not totally wiped away as he was hoping for. So I'm definitely excited to see, you know, him dealing more with that and, you know, how he views himself after killing his father and, you know, what does he do going forward with that? Does he embrace it more? Or does he have a little bit of regret? So it's going to be fascinating to see, you know, the progression of Kylo Ren as a character after killing Han Solo. So I'm glad that Ryan Johnson said that's the most interesting part to him in this. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And um, speaking of which, I mean, they actually have a little section about Han Solo in this article too. Um, and they say, yes, he's back in a way. Um, but then it says Kylo Ren's murder of Han Solo makes Ray's contempt for him much more personal. He's no longer just a random madman terrorizing the galaxy. Ray has a grudge. He stole from her the father figure she'd been searching for her whole life. Um, and Daisy Ridley says, she just doesn't understand Kylo. When all she wanted was parents, why would a person who has parents do that? It's so beyond comprehension, it's ridiculous. So she has grief for the loss, and then there's anger. To be honest, she couldn't understand doing something like that, let alone to your parents. Um, and it says, although his character is no more, Han Solo's legacy lives on. And then Ryan Johnson says, Han, the ghost of, well, not literally, uh, interrupting himself with a laugh. I don't want to misguide. I have to be very careful with my words here. But a figurative ghost of Han had to be present throughout the entire film. Which I think makes perfect sense. Like, Totally, yeah. And, you know, again, just thinking about, you know, a natural progression of, of where the characters are at. And especially when this takes place so close after... Um, you know, The Force Awakens. I mean, we've never had such a short span of time between Star Wars movies in terms of just the um, 
you know, the, the space within the story that like the time that's actually taking place between the movies, because we know the last Jedi is going to pick up right after the force awakens. And so, you know, like in attack of the clones, Obi-Wan doesn't spend the whole movie dwelling on, you know, Qui-Gon's death, but that's because it was 10 years ago. Um, whereas, you know, obviously in, uh, the last Jedi with, and especially with it being the death of a major character like Han Solo and the fact that it's going to be so fresh for everybody. It's like, yeah, you still have to deal with the aftermath of that. So, um, yeah, you know, that'll definitely be interesting to see. Also, they've got an image here of, uh, you know, the tie striker, or not tie striker, uh, tie, Kylo Ren's tie silencer with a couple other first order tie fighters. And this is actually the same image that we had gotten revealed, I don't know, a couple weeks ago or whatever, like on the Star Wars show when they first revealed the ship for the first time. Um, so I guess this confirms that this is an image from the movie and not from Battlefront. Like I thought it might have been the first time around. Um, <laughs> I mean, but, it probably will look pretty similar when you see a screenshot of Battlefront. Yeah, but man, I just oh, that ship is pretty. <laughs> cool ship to match a cool costume, or a cool yep. elf, I should say. <laughs> um, yeah, and then but we got to get to the most important part of this article. The confirmation that we'll see Captain Phasma in action. I mean, Ryan Johnson says it right here. Gwendolyn Chrisley is one of my favorite people, and you get to see her in action, which I think is going to be really fun. The character is just so cool looking. Like, okay, let's see what we can do with her. Let's put her in an action scene and see what happens. Well, I mean, if I was there in that conversation, I could already tell Ryan Johnson what would happen. It would be amazing. (laughs) (laughs) That cool armor. You know, being in an action sequence is just going to be so, so, so cool. And of course, what we're hoping to see in the Force Awakens, but did it get? So glad they're making good on that and you know fixing that small problem with the movie. <laughs> At least for me, being so excited and anticipating her character, and you know only being it for a few minutes. So I'm glad it's finally confirmed. I mean, it looked like that was the case. We saw in the trailer her leading those stormtroopers into battle after that explosion, and you know. Her, uh, Gwendolyn Christie and John Boyega having some fun on D23, you know, having a face standoff against each other, hinting at an action sequence. But Ryan Johnson says it right here. So this mm-hmm. made the whole Entertainment Weekly article. Forget about all the force and Luke's of Ray's parents now. This is the most important <laughs> thing. <laughs> yeah, undo the whole past three hours of what we've just been talking about because none of it matters in comparison to Captain Phasma. Nope. Yep. This could have been a really quick podcast, really. You could have talked about that and be done with it. (laughs) Yeah, you could have just started it off and been like, hey guys, welcome back to Star Wars. The saga continues. It's confirmed. We're seeing Phasma in an action scene. Have a good one. May the Force be with you. We'll see you next time. (laughs) See you December 15th. (laughs) Um, and not only that, yeah, Ryan Johnson confirms that we'll see her in an action scene or in action, but then John Boyega also promises we'll see her in a showdown with his ex stormtrooper Finn. So that should be pretty cool to see. I'm wondering, I mean, we know we've seen pictures of Phasma with her, you know, staff pike weapon thing. Um, and I'm like, what's Finn going to be using for that? Yeah, it is going to be interesting to see what he uses. You know, just a blaster, maybe <laughs> we'll have a shootout, but you know. Phasma have to use that spear at some point. They wouldn't just give it to her and not use it. Yeah. She is going to be an action sequence. So maybe Finn will pick up, you know, one of those uh, electric blades that the Stormtrooper used in The Force Awakens on him or something. So Yeah. Or one of the uh, those, like, axe-looking things that we've seen. There you go. Yeah. That's probably what's going to happen, I think. Mm-hmm. The, the Stormtroopers we saw in the behind-the-scenes video with those new weapons they had. Yeah. 
yeah, so maybe he'll get a hold of one of those. Um, maybe he'll have his own spear. I don't know. Maybe uh, Ray will let him use the lightsaber again for, you know, one more round. <laughs> yeah, but I don't want to see that because that means he'll probably chop off Captain Phasma's spear pretty easily. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah, that's true. Well, I mean, not if it's made of the same stuff that, uh, you know, traitor guy used. Yeah, it just doesn't look like that type of weapon though it just looks like you know a simple metal melee weapon that's she's gonna pierce her enemies with it doesn't look like there's any like yeah well you know what a deactivated lightsaber also looks like a simple metal <laughs> melee weapon <laughs> true true but i just don't see that happening with her spear i think it's gonna be more a traditional weapon but we'll see yeah we'll see i mean it's star wars i i would kind of be surprised if a you know captain of the first order is using just a regular plain old spear when everybody else is using uh you know energy weapons and stuff. although i think they did mention something in that vanity fair article about um you know that having this maybe something to do with like where she comes from yeah and, i was gonna say we'll probably learn about it and whatnot in the novel coming about or coming out about her we'll yeah shed more light on maybe why that spear has some significance to her and why she yeah. uses it so maybe she just prefers to kick it old school every now and then yep <laughs> Stick with the classics. Yeah. But, I mean, even when you've got blasters and stuff at your disposal, I still would not want to mess with, like, you know, someone as tall as Gwendolyn Christie in Stormtrooper armor coming at you with a spear. Like, no thanks. Yep. <laughs> She's going to be an imposing opponent no matter which weapon she has. Yeah. Um, And then, let's see. Oh, yeah. So Phasma and then, um, you know, they're talking about Chewie as well. And, of course, they got that same screenshot of... Chewie sitting in the cockpit of the Falcon with uh, his cute little Porg buddy sitting right up there next to him. Um, and, uh, you know, they talk about Chewie just, again, dealing with the loss of Han Solo. Um, they also mentioned that uh, Junus Suotamo, who, you know, uh, did a lot of, like, stand-in stuff for Peter Mayhew in the last movie, um, or did a lot of, like, the more physical stuff, um, as Chewie in The Force Awakens is now, like, fully taking over the role in this movie. Um, Peter Mayhew is, you know, retired from it. Um, the, but also they mentioned that, you know, Chewie, of course, is going to be in mourning, um, and that, you know, he's maybe going to be, like, a little bit more emotional and more, uh, I think they specifically called him, yeah, they say a little more volatile than usual, um, and that he's not going to be, like, depressed necessarily, but that, you know, maybe he's just going to be, you know, of course, obviously dealing with this anger and sadness and stuff, and then also um, maybe even kind of dealing with a little bit of frustration that, like, it's not easy for him to kind of articulate that, um, even though he's pretty good at communicating with people through his, you know, wookie growls and stuff. Um but at the same time, you know, Ryan Johnson says, he's, he says, Chewie's doing all right. It's tough. It was obviously a big loss for him. But, you know, he's Chewie. He's resilient. He's got broad, wookie shoulders. And he also has a new mission. He's got Ray, And she's someone that uh, Han, to a certain extent, handed the keys to. So I think that helps. Um, and, of course, he's got his new Porg friends, too. So, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, all the stuff we've been talking about, the characters, it almost seems like Chewie gets a little overlooked because, you know, when you read this stuff... Yeah, that's going to be a big thing to see in the movie, how he's coping with the loss of Han Solo, you know, his best friend, the, the character he spent the most time with probably for most of his life. So it's going to be, you know, interesting to see him, you know, in this new state without Han Solo. And 
at that you know time of morning and i just go back to that uh, one shot we got in the behind the scenes video that i really loved where it's just him sitting out in the campfire outside the millennium falcon and i just think that could be a moment where chewie's reflecting on things and the loss of Han Solo, maybe, you know, digesting it and taking it all in for the first time in that moment. And just, you know, see a different side of Chewie there, maybe a more emotional side that we haven't seen before. So it's going to be interesting, like I said, to see how Chewie's dealing with all this. But at the same time, it's great to hear, you know, Ryan Johnson say, you know, he's going to be all right. He's tough. And, you know, he still has, you know, things to do in, you know, to, a role to play in this story and for the galaxy too, where he says, you know, He's got Ray now, and you know, he's he's got to be there for her too. It's like he was there for Han, and as the co-pilot, and then as a friend too. So, yeah, excited to see what uh, we're gonna see of Chewie in this movie as well. Even though sometimes he's not the first character we think to and get excited about to see, you know, what they're gonna be doing in the movie. But at the same time, when you do think about Chewie, it's gonna be some great stuff to see on screen too. So I can't wait to see more, you know, Chewie's role in this movie as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, me too. I mean, Chewie's obviously like one of my favorite characters. And so I, I'm definitely excited to see like what they do with him next. I feel like the reason he gets kind of overlooked is like, well, he's kind of in an awkward spot now, right? Because Han and Chewie have always been a package deal. Um, you know, it's like wherever the Millennium Falcon is, that's where Han is. And that's where Chewie is. Um, except when Lando's flying the Millennium Falcon through the Death Star. But I digress. Um <laughs> You know, like, and so I'm trying to think, like, you know, where would where would we be expecting Chewie to be in this movie? And I'm like, well, I don't know, because he's always paired up with Han, and now Han's gone. So it's like, well, who do you stick him with instead? Um, but you would maybe expect him to be more, like, with the Resistance and Leia and all those guys, because he always, you know, fought along with the Rebellion and stuff in the original trilogy. Um, so it might be easier to, like, find a place for him there. But, you know, I, I think again, the reason he is maybe getting a little overlooked is just the fact that, like, he's on Octo with uh, Ray and R2 in the Falcon right now, and so much of that focus is just, you know, we're like, okay, let's, you know, we want to see the dynamic between Ray and Luke and find out who Ray's parents are and find out why Luke is on this island and see, you know, him training her in the ways of the Force and find out why he wants to end the Jedi and, you know, all this, all these huge questions and all this stuff that we're super excited for. And then it's like, oh yeah, I forgot Chewie and R2 were hanging out over there too. Um, And, you know, wondering kind of like what their role is going to be in all this and how much are Luke and Ray going to pay attention to them and, you know, bring them into the story and how much is it going to be just, you know, Luke and Ray training together? I mean, I'm sure once they go back to, uh, you know, crate or, you know, whatever's going to happen, like if they go and meet up with the rest of the resistance and the heroes at some point, obviously Chewie and R2 will be there with them. Um, and I'm sure we'll get, you know, at least some nice moments of like Luke being reunited with Chewie and R2 again. Cause you know, that'll be cool to see, you know, we'll have a mini, uh, reunion of you know part of the gang getting back mm -hmm. together from the original trilogy so um, you know that'll be nice I just hope you know Chewie gets you know a little bit of a moment to shine and you know do some stuff I mean I love seeing him kick butt in The Force Awakens yeah <laughs> um, you know we finally got to see that bowcaster in action and he's sending people flying and even you know as much as it was a sad moment like after uh kylo you know kills han i love it when chewie just like blows up the base and just goes all rambo and is just blasting stormtroopers left and right and i'm like dang don't make chewie mad lesson learned yeah i mean he 
had one of my favorite parts of the movie. Like I said, after it was a sad moment seeing Han Solo died, you had like a like a fist bump moment or like a cheer when Chewie just blasted Kylo Ren. Like like this one's for Han. Like he's doing it for the audience too because you want to see action yeah. taken on Kylo Ren. So yeah, we hopefully we'll get more stuff like that in the Last Jedi too. Yeah, so hopefully, and again, I mean, I'm not expecting him to like shoot Kylo Ren or anything, but sure, hopefully, yeah. <laughs> yeah, hopefully Chewie gets to shoot some more stormtroopers and not just sit by his campfire all day while Ray and Luke are doing their Jedi training. So, um, but uh, yeah, I mean, and at least obviously we'll get to see some stuff with him playing with Porgs, it looks like. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so that should be fun. Um, and then lastly, uh, you know, they talk about Maz Kanata and saying that, um, you know, we will see her again in this movie and that she has at least one kind of shining moment, um, but that she's going to have a smaller role in this movie than she did in uh, in The Force Awakens, which makes sense because, I mean, if you hadn't told me already that Lupita Nyong'o was coming back to, you know, play her again in this movie, like, I wouldn't have even expected her to show up in this one um you know and of course not that i'm assuming i know everything about the movie or you know where they should or would go or whatever but i'm just saying like her role in the force awakens kind of seemed you know one and done um and i'm sure that if they're bringing her back in the next one it's you know for a good reason and i'm not saying i don't want to see her or anything like that but i'm not surprised that it's a small part you know, if anything, because I'm not going to be like, oh, man, I thought Maz was going to be in the whole movie. It's like, well, no, she's still I mean, last time we saw her, she was, you know, escaping the ruins of her castle. And I don't know if she's maybe like joined the resistance now as an advisor or something. But like, you know, unless there's going to be a scene where it's like, hey, we don't know what to do. Let's go back to Maz's castle and, you know, see what she's up to, like putting the rubble back together. But... <laughs> yeah, I kind of have a feeling like maybe maybe it's something where she's part of a force vision between luke and ray and like she connects with them through the force and through meditation and maybe she speaks to them in a vision maybe just get a quick shot of her as she's meditating but you know she's not really interacting with them like face to face or maybe they could meet up where ray and luke go back to meet up with the resistance they'll see Maz Kanata again and she'll uh, be there to I don't want to share more information or because I have a feeling she's going to be part of maybe the reveal of Ray's history, maybe, you know, or even Luke's lightsaber because he, she had that line, you know, it's a story for another time. So maybe we'll get it here. But I just have a feeling it's going to involve Luke and Ray whenever we do see her in the mm -hmm. movie. Even if it's because I'm guessing it's probably one scene or one sequence and that's it, but uh, probably some a little bit of significance. And I think it will involve Luke and Ray. Yeah. Well, heck, I think it would be cool even to see her and luke meet face to face yeah um but yeah we'll see i mean again with all the stuff that's going on here and all there is to be excited about you know obviously some stuff is going to take center stage more than others and some things like maz are going to be kind of left off to the side but um you know hopefully whatever we do see of her in there is you know noteworthy um and you know has a, a pretty cool part to play in there so we'll just have to wait and see yep um and then i'm you know just the the last article i've got open from here is not an article but just an image gallery and i'm kind of scrolling through but all these images pretty much are embedded in the articles um 
But yeah, you know, lots of cool stuff here. If you haven't checked out all this coverage from Entertainment Weekly already, I would highly suggest, you know, doing it. If listen to listening to us yap about it for three hours wasn't enough, um, <laughs> you know, if you want to just go read all the articles in depth and, you know, see all these cool pictures for yourself and everything. And, um, you know, I, I would definitely recommend checking that out if you want, uh, you know, just more stuff to chew on and to get you more hyped for The Last Jedi. Yeah, and I got to pick up the actual physical copies of the issues. They should be out in the wild now. I know they usually take about a week to when they say they're on sale in the article. <laughs> like you say, oh, they're on sale this Friday. I go looking for them. I can't find them. So I'm glad it's only two different covers for this issue. Now you got one of Luke and one of Ray. It's not four <laughs> like sometimes <laughs> they usually are. So I don't have to go searching for a bunch of them and worrying about not having the, all the different covers. So. It should be nice just to get two copies of the issue. We don't have to worry about two different covers. Yeah. I don't know. I don't need... Uh, well, I can just read all the, the stuff online, but um, I don't know. They are both pretty, you know, two pretty cool-looking covers. So, like I said before, so, I started with episode one collecting the magazine covers for all the movies, and why stop now? <laughs> yeah, no, I definitely... You know, they're, if you got a whole collection of magazine covers going, you know, these are both you know, ones that are going to make a fine addition to your collection. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Sometimes I do say that in a general grievous voice when I pick them up. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Although my collection is complete. I know I was telling you earlier, I did. There's one cover from the vanity fair issues from a few months ago. That I didn't get the one of Carrie Fisher on it. They had one left at the Barnes and Noble and it was like ripped and torn. I was like, oh, you gotta be kidding me. Like, they have all of them right here, but the last one it was Carrie Fisher's all out of shape and ripped. And like I didn't want to get that, and I figured oh, I'd come back, and they'll probably get more in. Come back like a few days later, nothing. Like a week later, nothing. And now I'm like kicking myself. Maybe I should have just gotten <laughs> that torn up issue because it's better than having nothing. But at the same yeah. time, it always bugged me seeing one of the covers ripped and not in good shape. So that's something that's going to haunt me in my magazine collection. <laughs> no, <laughs> yeah, I don't blame you though. I probably would have passed on that too. But, um, all right. So we got through all the last Jedi coverage. Um, let's just wrap up with, you know, a few more things here. Um, well, this is also kind of last Jedi related, but not movie stuff. This was actually, uh, kind of the only big star Wars news out of San Diego comic-con, um, and it was just all these new Star Wars books that were announced. Um, and we're not even going to go through all of them because there's a lot of like kids books and activity books and sticker books and cookbooks, you know, one called BB-8, like <laughs> A-T-E, like ha, funny joke. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, there's just so many of these, but I mean, some of the noteworthy ones, like they're doing a uh, Thrawn comic, which I think it's just a, adaptation of the Thrawn novel isn't it mm -hmm, yeah yeah there's, Which there's... Is gonna be good for me because I that's one of the novels I haven't read yet and you know my if I haven't had a chance to read the full novel it's gonna be an adaptation I'll check it out in the comic since I haven't read it yet it might be a cool way to experience that story mm -hmm. yeah I might do that too um, of course, The Last Jedi novelization, um, the art of Star Wars The Last Jedi, which I mean, those art books are always worth the money. Yeah, um, there we are. And I really love the color for the, the cover for this one. It's the concept art of Rey on Octo with a lightsaber and the Falcon in the background. It looks mm -hmm. really cool. Yeah, it does look really cool. Um, there's one about uh, the Cobalt Squadron. 
um, which is, uh, let's see, the description for this one, it says, um, bring readers the harrowing story of a courageous bomber pilots and technicians of Cobalt Squadron, which I think uh, Rose is part of, and also her sister Paige, is that her yeah. name? Yeah, and Paige is the one that's the actual bomber, and Rose is, you know, the technician. Um, so that's the group that they're part of, so there's, you know, a, a story about them. Um, there's one called uh, Rose and Finn's Mission, which I think, you know, this, yeah, this is more of like a tie-in storybook for younger readers. And then there's one that looks like an illustrated, like, bedtime story called Chewy and the Porgs. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, again, like, the Porgs are going to be like the new Ewoks. Just small, cute, fluffy, everybody wants a stuffed one. Kind of looks like they're going on a fishing trip. Chewie has like look at the fishing rod. It's a stick with some string tied on it. Yeah, and, like the porks are following him. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Although I I think it's probably safe to say that the porks will not be taking out any stormtroopers. Oh, if that happens. <laughs> <laughs> you know, unless they do have some you know, force sensitivity in some strange way <laughs> where they could use it. That's the only way that it'll work. But no, I don't want to see a flock of porks attacking stormtroopers and them getting defeated by that that would yeah i i think i'm there with you on that one (laughs) i mean that would be the kind of thing that would be like fun to see on an episode of rebels or something like that but like i don't even know about that (laughs) yeah well i mean it could be done in a funny way where like i don't know zeb comes up with it like just a random flock of porgs coming out of nowhere and like taking out stormtroopers i'd be like come on what the heck but like you know if Chewie were to like lure them into battle or be like, you know, haha, I attack you with my army of birds. Like it could be kind of funny, but not really the kind of thing that I want to see like in one of the main movies. <laughs> yeah, I know everyone's fascinated with porgs right now, but that'd be taking a little too far. <laughs> yeah. Like I have to turn anti porg if that happens. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then also, uh, you know, just looking at some more of the books here, there's one, um, you know, of course, they're doing the journey to Star Wars The Last Jedi, just like we had the journey to The Force Awakens. Um, and so there's one about Canto Bite. Um, that I think you said it's going to be like a collection of sh- of short stories, right? Kind of like yeah. they had for The Force Awakens with like some of the um, scum and villainy type characters in Maz's castle. Yeah, I kind of assume it's like those old tales from Maz Eisley or tales from Jabba's Palace mm-hmm. books like back from the 90s. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, we got the Phasma novel, which is coming out on Force Friday, which is like two weeks from tomorrow. Or, you know, I say or tomorrow. Today. It, uh, yeah. <laughs> um, oh, yeah. It's after midnight already, huh? Um, but yeah. So, I mean, Friday the 18th. So, yeah, Force Friday is on September 1st, where, of course, all the merchandise and stuff from uh, The Last Jedi is going to hit stores for the first time. Um so that Phasma novel will be available, and then the Phasma comic series, I think, uh, starts releasing on September 6th, I want to say. Um, yeah, I believe so. And the novel is detailing more, like, her backstory um, and where she comes from, and then the comic series is going to be set in between The Last Jedi and... Or between The Force Awakens and The Last Jedi and explaining, like, how she gets out of the trash compactor and escapes the destruction of Starkiller base and then gets back in the fight with the first order. So that's probably something I'll definitely want to check out. Um, cause well, anything no th- brainer for me. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. Um, but I mean, aside from the fact that it's just phasma and she looks cool, like 
I'm my I, I've been thinking, you know, all along, like, okay, well, if you guys went through all the trouble of like having her crawl out of that trash compactor when she easily could have just gone up in flames with the planet, and you know, it better not be to you know just have another three minutes of screen time in this movie. So now that we know that she's gonna be, you know, actually get some more screen time and uh, we'll get to see her in action in the Last Jedi. I'll want to know, like, okay, well, how do we get to that point then? And how did she get out of that trash compactor? Um, and then, of course, like I said, you know, lots of fun activity books and sticker books and buildable models and just all this other kind of stuff um, that you can check out if you're interested. And I'm sure a lot of these will be on shelves, you know, on that Force Friday. So um, definitely no shortage of Star Wars, you know, book tie-ins um, to go along with the movie coming out. Um, That's for sure, yeah. <laughs> you know, along with, of course, like the visual dictionary and the cross-sections and all that usual kind of cool stuff. Um, and so I think, you know, that's pretty much it for, you know, news stuff that we're really going to discuss, dig into, and then just a couple things to keep an eye on that we'll get into in our next episode. Um, Dave Filoni announced recently that uh, he's going to be bringing a sneak peek of Star Wars Rebels Season 4 to Fan Expo Canada, uh, which is happening on September 2nd. Um, or, I don't know, the convention might be going longer than that. I assume September 2nd, is, which is a Saturday, um, that's when the, you know, probably Rebels panel or whatever they're going to be doing will be taking place. So, hopefully, I mean, especially since that's, like, into September, which we're getting into, like, fall tv season and stuff and we still really haven't heard much about rebels since like celebration um so i mean the reason i'm looking forward to this obviously i'm not going to be in canada but hopefully we'll get a release date for uh when season four is going to start airing and maybe a new trailer or something like that um so yeah keep an eye on that hopefully we'll get some uh exciting new rebels info and then, of course, you know how much we love us some Battlefront 2 uh, over here. On Well, I can't, guess I can't say we love Battlefront 2 because we haven't played it yet. Not the new Battlefront 2. Well, the old Battlefront 2 on the <laughs> Xbox One. No, like the first Xbox, not the current Xbox One. The Yeah. Um, but uh, at Gamescom is going to be going on uh, just this next week coming up here. Um, and on August 21st, they'll be doing a gameplay reveal of um, Star Wars Battlefront 2 and specifically the Starfighter game modes. Um, I think just Starfighter Assault is the, uh, the name of the game mode where they'll be doing, you know, just the space battles and uh, Starfighter dogfights and all that fun stuff. So we'll definitely want to check that out. Um, and I don't know if it'll be similar to how they did it at E3, where maybe they'll have like a gameplay trailer first and then like a live stream of some actual live gameplay. It sounds like it'll be kind of something along those same lines. Um, so, yeah, I know obviously we'll be checking that out. And, you know, those of you that are as big of, uh, you know, gamers and Battlefront fanatics as we are, definitely keep an eye out for that. Um, so depending on how much info and uh, footage and stuff we get to see we might have to do another episode next week just to talk about battlefront um and then get back to uh you know the movie stuff and um last jedi and all that after force friday and all that kind of stuff but we'll see what happens um you know but definitely like we said lots of 
as much as we had a lot of cool and exciting stuff to talk about on this episode, we've got even more coming up in the immediate future and in the coming weeks and months as we lead up to The Last Jedi. So, um, man, can't wait. It's it's about to uh, kick back into high gear here, so this yep. should be a lot of fun. The fun has just begun, really. <laughs> yep. I, will say, I was going to say, you know, this is where the fun begins, but the fun has already started, but, you know, it's really going to begin for The Last Jedi. <laughs> yeah, starting I mean, this is where the fun Friday. begins. That was, like, back around, like, celebration, you would have to say that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. <laughs> or E3, if, if Battlefront is where your fun is. Um, but anyway, um, yeah, so I think that's all we've got to cover for this episode uh and before we wrap up um tim you want to give us the social media rundown read some comments thoughts all that good stuff from the listeners yep yeah we got several responses regarding you know our last episode last jedi and some quick responses on the obi-wan standalone film too so uh for our last episode we got a few comments on that from paul j at jj farms 31 on twitter he just says, love the episode, even the Dodgers hate. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, we were giving him a hard time on that, but, man, it's not affecting how the Dodgers are playing. That's for Yeah, sure. <laughs> I'm like, you guys still won't lose, so, like, I'm not going to stop hating him. What do you want me to do? Uh, yeah, I'm just going to tribute to Ryan Johnson. He threw out the first pitch on that game where that uh, Paul went to, and the Dodgers took off ever since. So, <laughs> uh, Jinxed it, man. You could either thank or blame Ryan Johnson for the Dodgers' success. And Kyle, I know you're going to give him blame. (laughs) Yep. But then uh, Jeffrey Fishbach at Jedi Fish says, Wow, another three-hour episode of Star Wars The Saga Continues. Did I ever tell you guys I love Star Wars? I could listen to Star Wars pods all day. Wait, I do. (laughs) So, Jeffrey, you're not going to be disappointed with this one either. (laughs) Nope. Hopefully but, not. I mean, hope you actually enjoy it. But if you're just looking for length, we got that covered. Yeah, that should definitely uh, satisfy your Star Wars podcasting needs. And I want to give a quick shout out to Jeffrey, too, because uh, he let us know on Facebook that, uh, you know, he's starting his own uh, Star Wars podcast called the Canto Cast. And he said he's recording his first episode tomorrow. So be sure to check that out. I'm sure it's going to be tons of fun for Jeffrey to be talking Star Wars and, you know, geeking out like we do on our show. So. Look forward to checking that out, Jeff. And, you know, you could follow their podcast at the CantoCast on Twitter. So definitely give them a follow and check them out when the podcast goes up. Hmm. Should I check out the CantoCast? Sure, I'll bite. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, that, that was, yeah, beautiful. <laughs> Perfect. Oh, it was just there hanging. Yep, you had to take it. Yep. <laughs> Uh, but then in regards to all the Last Jedi stuff we got, I did put out a poll when the first batch of articles came out the first day that Entertainment Weekly posted all of it, seeing what everyone was most excited about from those first four, uh, the choices being Luke and Ray, Finn and Rose, the creatures of Octo, and Snoke and the Praetorian Guards. And coming in number one shouldn't be too much of a surprise. It was Luke and Ray at 53%. And then coming in second was Snoke and the Praetorian Guards at 27 third at 16 percent was the creatures of octo and then at only four percent is the new stuff we learned about finn and rose so (laughs) not generating too much excitement from our twitter followers but hopefully like we said once we see the movie and the stuff that sounds you know great characterizations and like story arcs for them is going to be you know get those excited who maybe weren't too excited right now because it's understandable all the stuff with luke (laughs) and ray in the forest and the new creatures we saw in Acto, that's what got me more excited too. So not too surprised that Luke and Ray went out. But then some comments on some of the Last Jedi stuff. 
Uh, regarding some of those leaked images, Mark Lemke at Dur underscore Lemke on Twitter says, that Snoke photo changes my perception immensely. It looks very human. And then Scott Dunkel at Dunco on Twitter says, Snoke's eyes look eerily like Palpatine's. And when I saw that tweet, I was like, huh, I didn't really notice that. But I did a side-by-side shot of Snoke and Palpatine. They do look pretty similar. I mean, they both have those light blue eyes. And I guess we never noticed them on Snoke before since he was just a hologram. But they no, were similar. No, don't even start with the reincarnated Palpatine theories. I'm not going to go there. <laughs> but you can't deny there are similarities. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> <laughs> Something I didn't pick on. So that was cool for Scott for bringing that out. But then uh, Paul J at JJ Farms 31 chimes in again on The Last Jedi says, I'm glad to read that the memory of Han Solo will, will be part of The Last Jedi. That will be a nice segue to a standalone movie. And then Dylan Sparks at Suburban Home, home with a zero instead of an O, says, I wasn't expecting this version of Luke, but I'm happy with where his character is headed. So, yeah, I got to agree where Dylan says, you know, maybe not something a lot of fans, even myself too, were expecting Luke to be. But once you read it and dissect it as much as we did on this episode, it does sound like, you know, a good progression and story arc for the character to take and like I said at the beginning, I think it's only going to make his character stronger. So hopefully that'll be like that for most fans who are kind of on the fences where Luke is, you know, where he's at at The Last Jedi. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Joseph Golden at CC Star 1138, um, he asked a question saying, what new characters are you most looking forward to seeing in The Last Jedi? And you see, if, I don't know if I, I'm going to cheat a little bit here. Maybe not necessarily a main new character, but... Like I said, I'm fascinated about those caretakers. I mean, I could go with the Praetorian Guards and, you know, seeing some new uh, armor-looking characters in action, but I'm just fascinated with the caretakers. This, how the role they're going to play on Octo and their history and if they have any tie-ins to the very first Jedi in that first Jedi Temple. So those are the ones I'm looking forward to seeing right now as far as a new group of characters. But if we're going to talk about new main characters who actually have you know a significant role in the movie... I gotta go with uh, Rose. You know, she seems like her and Finn's dynamic is gonna be really cool. And some of the new stuff we learned in the Entertainment Weekly article, where she views him as a hero uh, with the resistance. So I'm just excited to see where you know her story goes with Finn and their dynamic. So I would go with her for a main character, but then for new you know side characters or just as alien species, I'm gonna go with the caretakers. Yeah, I'm like. Does Exile Luke count as a new character? Because that's a side of him we haven't seen before. Um, maybe, but that might be cheating a little bit. <laughs> yeah, maybe a little bit. Um, you know, I might have to agree with you on the caretakers. Like, just again, because of the tie into the history of Octo and the Jedi and all that kind of stuff. Um, as far as like main characters. I mean, I feel like there aren't going to be a ton of new ones. I mean, it's basically like Rose, Admiral Holdo, and DJ, DJ. you know, unless I'm forgetting any, but it definitely seems like, um, you know, it's going to be a lot of just like expanding on the the previous set of characters. Um, I don't know if any of those three has me like particularly like really excited um, I mean, maybe Rose by default, just because she's the one that we've probably like learned the most about so far. Um, but I don't know. 
like I I kind of hope there may be some surprise new characters in there. You know what? I want to see more of the Knights of Ren. I want to see that, and and you know what? If we if we did get to see the Knights of Ren, I would consider them new characters because I mean we saw them for what like two seconds in a flashback in the Force Awakens. So if we actually see them like in the present, in you know the the current realm of the story, like that would be cool. Yeah, well, I'll definitely give you that one <laughs> as far as them being new characters, and hopefully you know we will see more of them in this movie to justify them being new characters. So. It will definitely be something cool to see. And then Matt Cranky at the Crankster, uh, our good friend who co-hosts the Rebels podcast, says, or asks us, uh, what's our thoughts on Mark Hamill's comments about Kylo being the chosen one, which we gave our answers on an early episode, I think in depth. <laughs> but he says, I have my thoughts. Chosen one for the new order. And yeah, kind of how we're talking about a little bit before, would it be interesting if Luke did, you know, view there needs to be a new chosen one for his new order that he's starting up. Like what could have made him view that with Ben Solo. And I just think, like I said before, where maybe we're going to learn some stuff that Luke learned about the force and, you know, his view on it and where he thinks the Jedi should go that would make him think there needed to be a new chosen one for that. So yeah, like, like we talked about and speculated at the beginning, it's just going to be really really interesting to see how much of a role the chosen one is going to play in the movie and i hope it's a big one so we'll just have mm-hmm. to wait and see but well and here's a thought and and this is me just wildly projecting but you know i mean the whole concept of the chosen one at least with anakin was that um you know the the purpose or you know what they thought his destiny was or whatever was to destroy the sith and bring the force back into balance which to me means and you know like what matt was saying thinking that you know maybe he thought kylo or thought that ben was the chosen one for this new order it's like well unless he took it as a different meaning that would kind of have to mean that you have a a dark side threat and imbalance in the force that you need this chosen one to fix Mm. so maybe at that point i mean maybe luke already knew about snoke in fact yeah who who knows maybe before luke started a jedi order on his own maybe he went and did some traveling and gathering some jedi knowledge and stuff and maybe he actually went toe-to-toe with snoke and lost and obviously didn't die but thought like or, you know, maybe even was just made aware of his presence and thought, oh, man, this seems like an even bigger dark side threat than Palpatine that I can't defeat by myself. So I got to raise up a new generation of Jedi and I'm going to need a new, you know, young, powerful Jedi Knight to carry the torch who's going to be the one to defeat this guy. Um, And so, yeah, maybe... I mean, that could maybe have something to do with it. Maybe Luke knew there was some darkness out there or knew that Snoke was out there and was like, okay, Ben, you're going to be the one to kind of lead the charge and take this guy out. And Snoke ended up turning Ben against him instead. Yeah, because we know, you know, Han and Leia are aware of Snoke, Mm -hmm. you know, before Ben, you know, was seduced by him. They knew that he was kind of pulling the strings a little bit and you would it makes sense to think that Luke would be aware of Snoke too. So yeah, I think that makes total sense. 
and you know could be a way to where Luke would think you know there would be a need for a new chosen one for his new order. So I do like that theory. It's a possibility. <laughs> then uh, moving on from the Last Jedi to the Obi Wan standalone film news today, uh, we got a few responses. The first one from Corey Whipper at WhipperCG20 on Twitter says, "This caused the first legitimate smile I've had today." <laughs> and, and then Paul J chimes in again saying, great news. Can they replay the Darth Maul rebel scene? I don't care if we know how it turns out. <laughs> and yeah, I mean, I wouldn't mind seeing that happen in live action again, <laughs> but I'm sure they're going to tell a different story. But if there was like a flashback or a quick montage of something where we see that happening in live action, I'm not going to complain at all. It'll be, oh, yeah. you know, something very unlikely, but. I'll take it. <laughs> yeah. Well, and again, I mean, I am kind of glad that got to play out on Rebels because, again, when you have a live-action Star Wars movie that comes out, I mean, this has been my biggest issue of, you know, maybe having um, Darth Maul show up like in an Obi-Wan standalone movie because this was something that people were talking about back before uh, Twin Suns ever aired. Mm. And I'm like, when you make a live-action movie and put it out in theaters – you're going to have a lot more people going to see that movie in theaters than you're ever going to have watch Rebels or Clone Wars, you know, at home on their TV. Um, it's just, you know, it's a more, it appeals to a wider general audience. They're going to spend more money on marketing and commercials and more people are going to be aware of it. And inevitably, you're going to have a bunch of people go see that movie in the theater who have maybe seen the Phantom Menace like once or twice and never seen any of the Star Wars animated stuff and they're going to see Darth Maul show up and go, didn't that guy die? I'm confused. What the heck is going on here? So I am kind of glad that like if you're going to bring him back, like if he gets killed off, quotation marks around it, if he gets killed off in the movie and then you bring him back in the animation, you have to resolve that storyline in animation, which they did beautifully. Yep. And I got to take back what I just said. Maybe they could show it like in a flashback or meditation that Obi-Wan's having. I don't think it'll be a flashback because I'm assuming that this is going to take place way before the events of uh, Obi-Wan fighting Maul and meeting Ezra because that's pretty close to a new hope. And I think this is, I mean, you never know, but I have a feeling this is going to take place like a few years before we get to a new hope. Like I said early on, probably somewhere in the middle, like 10 years after Revenge of the Sith, but nine years before A New Hope, somewhere mm-hmm. in that time period. So maybe he'll see it as a Force vision, like in a quick montage sequence, like a quick lightsaber clash with Maul <laughs> and like a Force premonition or something. But yeah, I what <laughs> I would love to see is something similar to the end of that episode where you see, you know, just like the silhouette of young Luke running across the mm-hmm. the landscape with, you know, the sunset in the background. Yeah, I, they got to do something with a little young Luke there. Somehow, some way, like you said, even if it's in a silhouette or something from the distance where you yeah. see the homestead and some voiceovers. Yeah, I think he definitely has to like play a small role in the movie, but I don't know if it would like kind of spoil the illusion too much if like you actually had like a nine-year-old Luke Skywalker as like a significant character in the movie. So, um, but yeah, I think at least, you know, sort of referencing that in some way would be really cool. Yeah, I agree. And then finally, uh, Wayne Dupree at Wayne Dupree says, uh, if true, he just says dot, 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 and then a gif of a bunch of minions from the Despicable Me movie just freaking out with excitement <laughs> and just <laughs> cheering about the news of an Obi-Wan standalone. <laughs> well, I liked your gif of you and McGregor dancing in the speeder. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm just glad to see that 
this news got a lot of fans excited. I mean, like putting a smile on people's faces and then it just everyone just being super enthusiastic about it, which is awesome. And again, just shows why, you know, it was such a no brainer for Lucasfilm to, you know, get this movie off the ground and have it be the next standalone film. So yeah, it should be a tons and tons of fans happy, which is going to be awesome. Yeah, definitely. And that's it for our Twitter reactions and responses to the topics we talked about in this episode. So as always, thanks everyone to uh, letting us know your thoughts on The Last Jedi, the Obi-Wan standalone movie, and all anything going on in the Star Wars universe over these last few weeks. We always love hearing from you, and it's good to hear what the fan base is uh, thinking of when these big news stories come down. So as always, thanks for letting us know. Yeah, definitely guys. Thanks for chiming in um, and just, you know, engaging with us and sending us your thoughts and stuff. And thank you for listening. Um, And we are at the end of our time here. We'll just go ahead and wrap up Um, as always. You know, if you have more thoughts, comments, questions, theories and speculations, you know, whatever, um, you can tweet us at Star Wars TSC. Uh, you can follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Star Wars The Saga Continues. You can send us email at Star Wars TSC at gmail.com. And you can check out our website, uh, which is uh, Star Wars TSC.com for, you know, all the, uh, you know, just these news stories and articles and stuff that we're talking about. You know, we always post on there. Um you can also uh, be sure to check out the uh, Thunderquack podcast network, you know, thunderquack.com for, you know, all the other uh, cool podcasts, uh, you know, in our network for other topics that might suit your interest. Um, and uh, yeah, like I said, lots of cool Star Wars stuff coming up in the next few weeks here. So I'm sure it will not be another, you know, month or however long it's been before we're back with another new episode. Um, you know, it was just kind of one of those spells where it was you know not much going on for a couple weeks and then when we get to the point where it's like oh okay maybe we should record again then we get busy and then entertainment weekly is dropping stuff and we're like oh okay well let's wait till the end of this and just do a three-hour episode and record and talk about all of it so that's what we did um but i think we'll be you know getting back to doing stuff a little more regularly in the next couple months or so here um and also you know like i said we'll definitely be thinking of some fun stuff to do for our 100th episode if you guys have any suggestions about that maybe let us know uh what you think we should do for a 100th episode party um but anyway that's going to do it for us for now thanks again for listening we will see you guys next time and may the force be with you see you next time everybody